0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Higher Points podcast. Uh, in here with my buddy Nate Hyatt and the man, the myth, the legend, Seth Cordell, uh, <laughs> libertarian candidate for governor, uh, is going to be on the show today. And we appreciate you taking the time to join us in our new studio. So, keeping that in mind, uh, we did finally get the new foam hung, and it is better in here. But we, you're probably going to hear some like background noise of cars and things like that, and that's just something that we're working through. And so, as you're listening to this, we do our best to edit it out, but nothing's perfect perfect so just uh keep us in mind on that one and uh so tomorrow uh well not well not tomorrow to you guys but on the second we'll be releasing or we'll be announcing our winner for the cornhole boards we're looking forward to seeing who that is it was me and uh it's definitely not gonna be (laughs) seth um you don't have to worry about that we don't like him well enough to do that so you don't have to worry (laughs) about it um but so seth kind of the way we start things is is just Uh, just, uh, I don't know if you've listened to many of the podcasts before, but we just kind of start with, you know, your life, where'd you grow up, um, siblings, all that other kind of stuff, and then just move from there. So
1: take it away. Okay. Normally it's a joke when you tell people to start at the beginning and they say, well, I was born. (laughs) Um, but I don't know if it was, you know, some kind of a foreboding, but I was actually born on the night of the worst ice storm in Rice County history, I was born in Rice County, Central Kansas. Um, born and raised in Little River, a little town of about 500 people. You know, it, it cracks me up when people say, oh, I'm from a small town. How many? Oh, 40,000. Like, <laughs> my town had 500 people. A good 300 to 350 of them are my cousins. You know, it's just kind of one of those things. Um, <laughs> Not, not in an incestual way, but <laughs> through marriage. You, you, you're in a small town. You marry, and then you bring people back to the small town. Therefore, at some, they're not all first cousins. Let me put it that way. <laughs> um, but you know, when somebody becomes twentieth cousin five times removed, you just they're my cousin. How are they your cousin? I don't even know. I just, they're my cousin. Yeah, hold on. Let, so. me,
0: let me go get out a computer in the family tree and we'll figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's not a lot of branches, so it should be easy. <laughs>
1: I, I do know my family has been in Little River at least four, I think five generations. So we've, we've been in there. We've been there for a long time. Uh, I have seven brothers and sisters. So there's eight of us. There were nine uh, when I was 16, I lost a little brother. Uh, he was two weeks old. Um, you know, that's that's a whole another story we can get into later. But uh, there's eight of us now. I have one older sister, four little brothers, and two little sisters. Uh, we grew up on a small farm. Uh, we had 15 acres, mostly sheep, but we had pigs and um, bucket calves and that kind of stuff for 4-H, you know, growing up. Uh, for something that will be important... A lot later on, my dad has worked at the school there. He's the guidance counselor, and football coach, girls' basketball coach, and track coach. He coached uh, 34 years, I think, at least 30 years. He coached there, so that was huge on me growing up. Um, you know, I remember in fifth grade, I think, is when I started going up to the gym in the summer and working out with the high schoolers. By the time I was in seventh grade, I was lifting with the high schoolers. Um, so that's always been a huge part of my life. And well, always, again, we'll get to that later, (laughs) but, um, sports, sports was huge. Always has been, um, you know, being 40 plus years old, when you go back that far, we didn't have all of the traveling teams and the leagues and stuff that they have today. Uh, so, up yeah, in, but
0: usually you probably had like 20 teams in the town because you had enough kids that sh- signed up where you don't have that much anymore.
1: Exactly. The the rec leagues were, were big. So, yeah. you know, rec league baseball in the summer, uh, YMCA basketball growing up until junior high. Um, so would you go to Hutch for that stuff then? Hutch for basketball, yeah. yeah. Yep, that's what we always had to do too when we were growing up. Go mm-hmm. to Hutch. Yep, good old Hutch Y-Ball. All the gyms they'd have us thrown into and stuff but basketball was never never my sport um loved football uh loved track i was good in track but football man that that was it um i played basketball like i was still playing football <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was me too i played i fell out of every single basketball game
1: <laughs> oh yeah yeah uh but you know i mean I, I was a role player i was never a star player in basketball uh, coach called me the hatchet man Um, if they had a really good center, he'd put me in to go rough him up a little bit and then I'd get three fouls in like four minutes and then I'd come out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I always describe it that my, my goal and and my coach never told me to take them out of the game, but to take them out of their game, you know, make them think twice before they shot. Yeah. So it, and I, I was perfectly fine (laughs) with that role on the team. (laughs) So, um. But football was was where it was for me, um, you know, all kinds of accolades and that kind of stuff. My senior year, uh, played in the eight. Ma- we played eight man football, which I don't know if you've ever played or Not watched. I've Not never played man. it. I've watched it. Yeah. Oh, it is so much fun because I've I played eleven man in college and in the Shrine Bowl, and eight man football is just so fast paced, um, and most of the teams are small enough. Everyone plays both sides of the ball. So you don't have those specialty players, you know, everyone has to be well-rounded. Like for me, I I started at right guard, but I was the backup fullback, you know. Um, I started at nose tackle or defensive end. I was a backup linebacker, and I also kicked, also punted. Um, Kick returns were the only time that I was not on the field, and that's another good thing about eight-man that I like is you have to have the endurance. I mean, you're out there the entire game. Mm-hmm. um and in eight man they have the 45 point rule which a lot of eight man games get pretty high scoring so uh i think was it last year or the year before the eight man championship game the score was like 90 something to 90 something in a football game <laughs>
2: i think it's, so. i think it was just this last year I, mm-hmm. I thought it was a semifinal game it was maybe it was super, super high scoring um i think was it was at little river yeah. and someone else yeah
1: yeah, my nephew's playing there now. So, yeah, but yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And I was the at offensive line, so I was right guard. I was the eight man offensive player of the year my senior year. Um, played in the Shrine Bowl, the eight man All Star game. Went to play um, at Sterling College. That was that was a lot of fun too. So, uh, but I only was there for one year. Had a really bad concussion that uh, basically knocked me out for about a decade. But, um, you know, high school, I, uh, there was a lot of pressure. Um, and no matter what I say throughout any of this, I'm not trying to speak ill of anyone. You know what I mean? Like not trying to say anything bad, you know, like I had an amazing childhood. I have amazing parents. None of this is against them. Um, This is just my retrospection. I was pressured to do a lot and do a lot not just to the best of my ability but better than everyone else so um, I did football basketball and track in high school I also did debate also did forensics I was in theater I was in all the plays and musicals scholars bowl um, stuco president my senior year Um, to show you how far I've come politically I started a young republicans club (laughs) Okay. Yeah. <laughs> when i was in high i mean like if if there was something in high school i was a part of, oh i did choir and band um uh, also um uh, yeah if there was a club i was basically in it and if there was a sport i was in it and had to be the best
0: that explains a lot mm-hmm. about you as far as because Cause I, I often wonder sometimes when you take on your endeavors of, I, I have this mental picture and of course I don't know, I don't know your marriage, but I have this mental picture of your wife's like, you're going to do what like yep. you, you want to do what? <laughs> Cause of some of the things you take on, I'm just like, goodness gracious, where does this guy find time for any of this stuff? So do you think that, so that mentality is carried on? Do you, do you feel that that's been like a detriment to you or do you feel that's a good thing or kind of in the middle? Like, how do you feel about it?
1: it's a good thing now that I've learned to find balance. Um, you know, I, I can, I can say no to things now. Um, yeah, it, it was a detriment for, for a long time. Um, I took that same, I'm going to be the best. I'm going to do the most. And, uh, also applied that to the not healthy and helpful aspects of my life. Um, you know, I mentioned the concussion that I had. It was the third serious concussion that I had in three years. Uh, junior year in high school, I rolled my car. Um, I was driving to my friend's house. And I I remember driving to his house. Next thing I remember, I'm coming to on the hood of my car. Um, inside my car, but on the hood. Like, the car was upside down. And like just broken glass everywhere. I crawl out of the car, walk quarter to a half a mile to his house. And instead of taking the road, I just bee-lined it straight across the field. So I went through a muddy ditch and everything. And, uh, I show up at his house at the back door and just start pounding on the door. And <laughs> I was going over there to play Sega. So yes, I'm eight. I'm dating myself a little bit here. <laughs> um, and, him and my other friend are inside playing Sega and I'm banging on the door and they're yelling at me to go around and I don't have the faculties to walk around his house. So they let me in. Arms are all bloody from crawling through the glass. And, uh, I'm sitting there on the couch and cause they don't know what to do either. You know, we're just a bunch of dumb 16 year olds. Then his mom gets home and, uh, picks the glass out of my arm with tweezers and gives me a mydol. And uh I just kind of hang out there for a while no then that, that was it. <laughs> um, up in high school, every like stupid thing I did that hurt myself, I always ended up at Sloan's house, and I always ended up with his mom giving me my doll <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, when I broke my nose, ended up there, she got home, gave me my doll, and then I reset my nose myself, uhhuh. While playing Sega, <laughs> and <laughs> oh he man. didn't
0: need he didn't need uh any like like the old Western like take a take a couple poles off of this. Oh, and no. <laughs> he, he didn't need that. He had Sega.
1: Yep, I had Sega. I just that was a good enough distraction. Just sitting there, kind of wiggling my nose around because it was all loose, and just back over. And my buddies, it was loud enough that they actually paused the game and turned around and looked at me. And <laughs> I, I'm all loopy. So I, I guess that probably was another concussion that I didn't count in the last one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I just apparently just looked at him and said, I fixed it. <laughs> and we went about playing Sega. Uh,
0: you ever you ever heard of the Sega Mega before? Uh-uh. Uh, so remember Sega CD? Oh, yeah. You remember so that you had the CD portion on the side and then the flat part? Well, the Sega was designed to fit on that flat part. Oh. And then on top of that, you could put that 32X in on top of the Sega and I had one of those, so it was called the Sega Mega.
1: So you could play the Sega CD or the original Sega yeah, games,
0: right? Um, and it was all like one, base, basically one unit. And I'd gotten it for uh, like cleaning a guy's house one time or something like that. Like he was just like, "Hey, I don't use this anymore." Like enough that it would take two. I had enough games that would take two of these tables to fit everything. And I, hindsight being twenty twenty, this was stupid. But I sold it on eBay back in the day for like two hundred eighty or three hundred bucks. And if I'd have kept that today,
1: it oh, could have been
0: potentially more. But hindsight being twenty twenty, again, dating myself, but I <laughs> I played the hell out of Sega C D and Y'all like, are old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when Sega C D when you were like, wow, like look at the graphics on this. Like, you know, they could fit so much more on it. The storylines were longer and better and it was just mm-hmm. cool.
1: So would that technically be the first backwards compatible console?
0: Well, it had um I don't know. I mean it had it had the thirty two X on top where you could put like the nicer like cartridge games in, mm-hmm. but then also you could play the older cartridge games too. Okay.
1: So yeah, prob- probably, probably, uh,
0: which I'm not exactly sure how that worked. I'd have to, you know, nerd out on that on Google, but um I'm not exactly sure what it did, but it was basically the difference between 16 bit and 32 bit. I think okay. that's what the 32 X is. Um, but anyway, we, I took you off subject there. So you, you no, cracked okay. your, cracked your nose back into place playing <laughs> Sega. That was another concussion.
1: Yeah. Um, then uh, my senior year it was in football and and again this is not saying anything bad about anyone because we just didn't know back then we didn't know how serious concussions were even when i was in high school like
2: 10 years ago it was they were just now starting to do Mm -hmm. safety precautions and that kind of stuff for percussion or for concussions and it wasn't even even then like I had a coach yell at me for being a pussy basically because I sat out for a concussion, you know? I mean, so even when I was in high school and I'm sure it still happens today, honestly.
1: Oh yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of old school coaches out there that still have that mindset. Mm Um, you know, I was raised on the, and I think if used properly, this is a good way to look at it, the, are you hurt or are you injured? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're hurt, you can still play, but if you're injured, you have to sit out Yep, and, uh, but yeah, I I don't even know. I mean, surely they had to know. But all I And little bits have come back since, uh, you know, talking to people about it after the fact. Because I obviously don't really remember anything about the game itself. But I can kind of remember now. You know, I, I said I played right guard. I went and lined up outside of the left end. And my teammates grabbed me, put me in the right spot... <laughs> And for the rest of the game, that's how I played. Like they put me in the, in the spot I needed to be in, and pointed at who I was supposed to block, and that's how I <laughs>
0: played. <laughs> Goodness gracious! Here, that's the console I was telling you about right there on the TV.
1: Huh. Oh, oh, that is cool. Yeah, the way they have that mounted up on.
0: Top and actually, I guess it's not called a Sega Mega, but there is an actual Sega Mega. But anyway, that was it.
1: So, is Sega Mega kind of like a Mandela effect thing.
0: Uh. Hmm. I don't even know what you're talking about.
1: Oh, the Mandela effect? Yeah. Oh, that is really... It's uh, like the Berenstein Bears and the Berenstain Bears. Uh, you know, it's... So many people will swear up and down it's Berenstein Bears, but it's actually Berenstain. It's uh, a, a shared cognitive dissonance kind of a thing where, huh. like, so many people... It started because so many people re- remember Nelson Mandela dying, like, in the early 90s, like, before he went on. To do all of his politics, to, like be a, a prime minister, or whatever they call it, and uh, so that, that's where it got named from. But it's things that a whole bunch of people remember happening that never happened.
0: Huh. But so yeah, yeah, as far as uh, Bernstein versus Bernstein, it's just a, where you put the emphasis on the syllable, uh-huh. basically kind of thing. Yep. <laughs> um, so uh, so you fast forward to you know you've had you've had multiple concussions. Now you're at Sterling College. Yeah. Would that be an okay place to keep going.
1: Yeah. Um, so I played football there again, had a, a big concussion. The rest of the school year is pretty foggy. Uh, I did track, don't really remember a whole lot. I remember one time, uh, well, I had to wear a big sun hat cause I was really light sensitive after that one. And you know, I, I left for class in the morning and then next thing I know somebody's stopping me and saying like, Hey Seth, where are you going? I'm like, Oh, I'm going to biology or whatever. Like, dude, that class got out like six hours ago, you know stuff like that, um, and I I didn't really fit in with the football players, uh, you know at least at that time. One time they did a prank. Their prank was to fill their own shower with manure. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so I don't really fit in with these guys. So I moved into uh, Campbell, which, you know, is more of the the nerd dorm. Yeah, right. And uh, was there for the second semester. And I think I had a lot of fun, but uh, my ego also got to me a bit. Um, but instead of addressing it the way I should have, I just dropped out. Quit football, quit school, dropped out, got a job working construction. um. And that's when I really started, really started drinking at that time. It was just party, you know, like on the weekends, party hard, you know, work hard, play hard, that kind of a thing. Um, and that's, that's the way it was for a long time. But then I started, I think, subconsciously seeking out jobs that allowed me to play hard more often, um, you know, serving bartending, that kind of stuff. Even when I would work construction, you know, uh, a lot of construction workers, especially you get into the bigger towns, bigger cities and stuff, you know, it's drugs are pretty rampant. And I went through a stage where I would say for about five years that basically if somebody put something down in front of me, I would take it, you know, um, luckily I moved around a lot, you know, I'd change jobs, I'd do whatever. And, uh, so I, I, never really got too in with a certain crowd to get too deep into certain things. Um, but I experimented with a lot of stuff. Um, and, and looking back, the more research I've done into it since then, that especially with repeat concussions, the chance of damaging the impulse control center of the brain increases sharply. And so for me, that makes sense. You know, I get that big concussion in college. It was my third or, or fourth in three or four years. And then all of a sudden, this kid who was always a athletic and academic star drops out of college, starts working construction, starts partying, starts experimenting with drugs, starts doing all this stuff. And... I think it's safe to say that there may have been some damage to my impulse control center. You know what I mean? Um, Did
0: you ever struggle with any of that kind of stuff like prior to the concussions? I mean like when you no. were going through school or anything like at all. So I mean, you didn't do any of that stuff until after that.
1: No, I drank maybe twice in high school. Um, didn't drink at all in my freshman year in college. Uh, never had any issues with any of that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, once I was out of school, it was it was just like game on.
0: Well, and also, did you, did you, was the concussion, like, what, so what was, I guess, the catalyst to you being done with school? Like, what was the, you were like, I, F this, I'm done. Like, what was your mindset?
1: Um, There was a big part of it that I uh, convinced myself that I would hurt the team if I quit. You know, screw those guys, you know, they, because there, uh, after I moved out of the the jock dorm. I mean I'd be walking across campus and the the starting quarterback would be with a group of players and just all of a sudden just yell, "Hey faggot." as I, at me as I'm walking across campus. You know, it was just non-stop harassment once I left the jock dorm. And I I had a lot of resentment towards those guys. So I I thought that I was haha I'll get back at them I'll just quit. And that that was a big part of it. Um and then without football I was lost. You know that 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 was another thing that that was my life. Um
2: I know that feeling all too well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and and to have that I mean I can't say it was yanked away from me because I'm the one that pulled the string. But to not have that be part of my life anymore, I was lost. You know, what, 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 what good am I without this? Um, so that, that was the biggest driver. Um, and, but like I said, my, on so many levels, my head was not a good place at that point. Um, there was, uh, you know, I I grew up one of eight kids, and my dad worked at the school, and up until my youngest brother, who's 14 years younger than me, so up until then, you know, my mom stayed at home and raised his kids and, and did a great job. Again, I'm not saying anything bad about them, but we were always struggling financially. And...
2: I mean, who wouldn't with eight kids or nine kids? And Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. And and me being a stupid 18 year old thought, well, if I just start working construction, I could make some real money and I'll be able to buy things. And, and yeah, that reality started pretty quick afterwards, but, um, yeah, there, there were several different things, but the biggest one was being lost without football. So
0: did you, did you have a feeling like so up until this point, you, you've you been involved in every activity, right? And you, you've gotten accolades and awards and all this other kind of stuff. And now was this what you would see as like, I don't like labeling it, but I'm just, I'm giving it this word to illustrate my point. Uh, would this be, would that have been your first like true, what you felt was maybe a failure where you felt like things didn't go right? Is that like the first time you can remember something like that as far as like in a big way? Oh yeah. And so did that have a little bit to do with your mindset too? Like, whoa, I've I've never been here before and I don't know how to navigate this or.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Um, Another, another expression that I think can be good if used wisely or used properly is no matter how strong you are, there's somebody out there stronger. Yeah. Um, I remember hearing that a lot growing up. And so You know, that, that was always my mindset. And now I had no outlet for that. You know, what, what am I going to do now? You know, like I didn't know that there was a reason to lift weights beyond football. I didn't know that there was a reason to have a group of friends, you know, that weren't your teammates. You know, I, I, I didn't have any of that anymore. And so I was a failure on, on so many levels uh, in my mind when that happened and you know i i didn't go go home very often um because i felt you know i can't speak for what they actually thought but i felt like my parents wouldn't want me there because i was a failure um that's that's how i felt and so i distanced myself from my family for a long time um never even attempted to make any kind of a meaningful relationship um new relationship for a long time and Then I, well, okay, so I have, I've always been a big guy and knowing what I know now and looking at, you know, like my genetic makeup and all that stuff, I'm designed, like not just want to, I'm designed to be able to consume massive amounts of alcohol, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, On my 23andMe DNA report and everything. Um, Okay, so... Pro tip for anyone out there that has done a 23andMe or an Ancestry.com DNA test, there is a computer program out there called Prometheus yep. that's like $10, $15, and you can plug your um, genetic makeup into that and look up any condition, any drug, any anything, and it will tell you every bit of research that has been done that relates to your um, genes. And it is so cool. Um.
0: Yeah. One of the things it does is, is like, if you're like, say you're an athlete, one of the ways you can use it is say, for instance, like Seth is plugging away at that rain right there. Some people don't uh, uh, metabolize caffeine well. So taking that and drinking it, thinking you're getting the benefit of it is actually inhibiting your performance yeah. because you don't metabolize caffeine well. And you can tell things like that from that. Mm. And you can actually learn. Okay, so I, I metabolize carbs very well, so I'll go a little bit more carb heavy or I don't do well with that. I mean, you can break it down to what your body mm-hmm. is good and bad at and then kind of really customize your diet and your life around that to make sure that you're getting the peak so, peak, uh, peak male performance. Have you done that too? No. no, oh. No, I don't want to put my DNA into those databases. Sorry. I'm a little <laughs> bit, I'm a little bit, uh, yeah.
2: They've already got your DNA, bro.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, they do actually from the uh, COVID test. But anyway, we're going to get off subject there. So, yep. uh,
1: <laughs> um, so, uh, but yeah, so I have every liver marker that there is that I uh, metabolize caffeine and alcohol very well. Um, yeah, I. So, um, well, if I don't have football, if I don't have sports. I'm going to be the best, best drinker there is. And I, I really worked hard at proving that, um, you know, an, an average night of drinking for me was, you know, a 30 pack, you know, and that, that's just, that was normal to me. Like it, I didn't understand people that could have two beers and be tipsy. You know what I mean? Uh, so um and you know all of the drinking i did over that about 10 year period um if i were to test and because i have you know i test my liver today everything's great that i don't understand it but if a doctor were to look at all my numbers and pick which organ would be the best to give someone they'd probably say my liver like i I, (laughs) i just don't understand it but um Put that thing to the ringer. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very it's efficient trained and ready. Yeah, <laughs> well tested. Uh, and and that was when, you know, twenty was when I started smoking pot too. Um, because the crazy thing, it's easier when you're twenty years old to buy pot than it is alcohol. It's easier at sixteen. It's anything under twenty one. It's easier to buy pot than alcohol. Right now, especially since raising the smoking age to twenty one. It's easier for a kid to buy pot than it is to buy a cigarette. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that's a good thing I'll leave up to you, the listener, but that's just the way it is now. Um and so I, I started smoking pot. And back then I liked it. Um and then I stopped for a long time. Uh pot that is, and just and just drank. Um then I moved uh to a town that had more drugs in it. And occasionally those would pop up at a party. Um, you know, I've, I've tried cocaine. I, I don't see what the hype is about personally. Um, did absolutely nothing for me. Um, again, knowing what I know now, I, I do believe that I'm, uh, ADD. Uh, I have been tested, but the, (laughs) talking about my concussions, the lady, that did my uh, ADD test, took my whole history, did like two days worth of tests at this place. She came back and said, well, you check every box for ADD, but I can't give you a diagnosis until you see a clinical neuropsychiatrist and they do a bunch of scans and stuff because of your concussion history. (laughs) So I, I definitely am, but I don't know if it's, From the concussion, from the concussion, or or, or I always have been. I mean, looking back, it would kind of fit because I was always super bored in school. Um, I was a solid B student because I would ace every test and not do my homework. You know, kind of Mm -hmm. a thing. Um, But the the one time, the one time that I tried meth, um, I sat in my house. Everyone else left. And I played solitaire with a deck of cards for eight hours. Yeah, yeah, that's that's my wild and crazy. Uh, yeah, and so I wonder how many games you could get in. in eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, knowing that Adderall is essentially meth, yeah. and knowing that the, it helps. is pe- actually the closer one to meth. No, oh. Soxen. but yeah. They're, They're both very, very right, th- close yeah. chemical cousins. And so knowing that that's what meth did to me, I'm like, yeah, I probably have a bit of ADD going on. <laughs> so
0: so what you're saying is if you're going to take the meth, you just need to titrate the dose into something teeny tiny. And then it would probably work for you. Yeah. Um, it's because it's easier probably for you to get meth than it is to get alcohol or cigarettes. For you.
1: It would probably be a <laughs> lot cheaper and easier for me to get meth than it would be to get Adderall. Yeah. Unfortunately. And that's... That's a big problem that we have in society is people self-medicating because they have undiagnosed conditions because they can't afford healthcare. But anyway, that's another subject for Don't worry. We'll get, yep. we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. So I, I never messed with any kind of a hallucinogenic drug or anything like that. Um, I've got enough craziness going on in my mind. I don't need that. Uh, we'll, but, keep, uh, we'll keep those on the inside. They don't yeah. need to come outside. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I, I went through all of that stage. Um, and I always have to preface this. So I was I was 25 when I met my wife. And I was a heavy drinker then. But I don't think, and I'm going to make a lot of alcoholics angry when I say this. I don't believe I was an alcoholic at the time that I met my wife. Um, my wife, it was after I met her, after we got married, that my drinking got really bad. Um, and not because she drove me to drink or any of that stuff, but because I had someone to take care of me. You know what I mean? Like before I had enough, you know, herewithal to drink just enough that I could still function at work. I could still make money. I could still pay rent. I could still do that stuff. Well, now that I had a wife to help pick up the slack on stuff, the drinking really escalated. Uh,
0: So you could basically drink more knowing that somebody else was there to kind of like pick up what you were incapable of doing.
1: Exactly. I got you. Exactly. And, you know, unfortunately, I I made her life hell for several years uh, because of my drinking. Um, And... But being married kept me out of the scene where there were other things, you know, other whatever drugs and stuff like that. So, it was it was just alcohol at that point.
0: Um, and then... Did she know this stuff, like, getting... When when you guys were first together, I mean, did she know that you drank a lot? I mean, or was that something that you kind of hid, or...
1: Uh, without going too much into her life... Um, yeah, understandable. Uh, when we met, we were both at a kind of a dark place. Um, and so the first time I met her was at a party and then, um, as we dated, I mean, she knew that I drank a lot. Okay. You know, I would have several, at least several beers or some shots at night, but that was when I started hiding my drinking too. Cause I didn't want her to know how much I was drinking. So it, it was common for, you know, me to pick up a pint on the way home or a half pint, you know, half pint and have that polished off by the time I got home. And, um, and then I would have a couple of drinks and go to bed, you know, that kind of a thing. So, um, yeah, that was when I started hiding it. And then a few years into our marriage, um, shortly after we got married, we moved to Colorado and, uh, you know, we just, both did whatever we could find for work out there. She was a massage therapist, so it was easy for her to find a job at resorts. Um, I did some bartending, which really helped my alcoholism, let me tell you. <laughs> um, and, uh, or, you know, landscaping, whatever kind of stuff you find out there. Um, beautiful, loved living in the mountains. Where um, at in Colorado? Colorado, did you guys live? Fraser Valley, so Winter Park. Um, grand lake we were just south of rocky mountain national park okay and my brother-in-law lived uh in estes park or and loveland in that area so i mean driving through rocky mountain national park was like driving from sterling to hutch you know like it was just a trip that we made pretty often Mm
0: -hmm. a beautiful trip oh yeah i love rocky mountain national
1: park after oh about the 10th time of doing it And I realized that I wasn't admiring the beauty anymore. And I was just cursing at tourists. (laughs) I'm like, okay, wait, no, I've gotten jaded. I need to, you know, step back. Like, you know, there are people that have literally traveled from the other side of the earth to come see this. Like I need to appreciate what I'm driving through right Mm -hmm. now. And, um, but it's just crazy how I got, I got jaded to Rocky mountain national park. Like one of the most beautiful places on earth. And, uh, um, but yeah, not a lot of permanence up there. And, Uh, yeah, this was still before, uh, pot was legal in Colorado, but of course in the mountains, it's everywhere. And I worked at a ski shop for a winter. So, I mean, the, the other guys would go out to the shed to smoke a joint between big groups and I would go out to my car to drink a half a pint. It was, it was bad, but, um, I, I did, I did smoke pot like once or twice up there and I didn't like it. It was the strangest thing. Like I remember 10 years prior to that, or around there, around ten years, liking it, and then I didn't, and so I started thinking about it, and I'm like, I don't like the THC, because the stuff that we had in Kansas twenty years ago, probably
2: like ten percent THC,
1: maybe. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I have no idea on on number stuff, but yeah, it was it
2: was it was weak stuff. Nowadays you got stuff that's like 22, 25% THC. Some of the bud is Oh geez. from
1: dispensaries. So yeah, that's, I, I, that's why I didn't like, it, I don't think. And, uh, um, be coming back to that with CBD after a bit. That's a big part of my story too. Um, in a good way. Uh, but I, th- in Colorado was the first time that I lost a job because of my drinking. Um, first time I got flat out fired for being drunk. Was that kind of a wake-up call for you? Should have been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was his way of saying no. <laughs> yeah. not, not yet. <laughs> I mean, maybe temporarily, but not long term by any mm-hmm. means. Um, so we we moved back home, and that was when uh or no, it was actually right before we left for Colorado, sorry, was the first time I actually went to treatment. Um I did an inpatient state run treatment program. And Got nothing out of it. Um, there are a lot of people that find help in treatment. I'm not trying to talk anyone out of going. Is that like the state run? Is that – would that have been the issue that it was I think paid that, for
2: by the government and, or it, was it?
1: It it was, um, and I, I qualified based on income, but I was the only person that was there voluntarily. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone else that was there was there to get out of jail early. Yeah. So there wasn't any good attitudes or anything. It was, no. Yeah. It was people planning on who they were going to get back with when they got out of there and all that kind of stuff. And there was even – there there was a, an older guy in there, and he was just being so disruptive during class. And so I went and talked to one of the counselors like, man, this guy's just being – so." next thing I know, I got two guys – coming up threatened to beat the crap out of me for throwing him under the bus and this and that you know i'm like welcome to the criminal element "Uh uh-huh and uh and then like two days later his niece shows up you know and it turns out that this guy was making meth pimping out his niece to his customers and all this stuff and but when, when she got there, it was just like happy family. It was the cra- it, I lived a very sheltered childhood, you know? So yeah, it was a bit that I went out and partied and experimented with stuff, but I'd never been exposed to what it's really like, like this. And, you know, at the time I was very judgmental towards them. Mm-hmm. And now it just, I'm not judgmental, but it still blows my mind to think about how that's normal for some people. And again for, for later on, but how the system has gotten to the point where this is normal for people, you know. Um but then anyway, so we moved back and moved back to Little River? Uh to to Kansas, Kansas. yes. Yeah. And that was when I really started my my drinking turned into binge drinking. So I would go three, six I think, uh, six months was kind of like one of the long average for how long I would stay sober. So I'd be sober for three months, six months, and then I would just go on a bender. Um, just a oblivion blackout bender until I could no longer physically go by alcohol anymore. And these last like days at a time kind of benders yeah. yeah days to a week and uh you know when you're when you're drinking at least a liter if not a 1.75 of vodka every day for a week it takes a toll on you mm-hmm. and um you know I ended up in the hospital a few times with withdrawal with DTs um well, <laughs> one time I I go to the emergency room they give me some medication to calm everything down my um my heart would go into afib so i mean it, it it's a serious thing um i can look back on it now and you know tell it kind of sound lightheartedly but you know i understand just how serious it was how close to death i was multiple times and uh but you know this one time i went to in the er and they gave me the meds and they take my iv out and send me home um and I'm walking down the hallway and all of a sudden I feel something warm on my hand and where they had stuck the IV. I I guess I still had enough alcohol in my system. It didn't clot at all. And I look back and there's like this like 10, 15 foot long trail of blood leading down the hallway. (laughs) So I go back up to the desk and I am like, uh, I need a bandaid. And the lady looks at me and looks down the hall. She's like, "Oh!" (laughs) 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 everyone starts trucking to clean up the blood. And, um, so after doing that several times, and I, I tried AA for years too, and, and it would work. I would get those three months, six months, um, but, it, but it just never stuck with me. Um, I went through several sponsors. Some of them were good. Some of them were not. Again, I'm not trying to discourage anyone away from 12-step programs or sponsors. Um, in fact, I would encourage people to go because it does work for a lot of people. But if somebody does go to a 12-step program to try to find help, I would also tell them that that doesn't have to be the only thing you do. You know, look for other things that you can do while you're doing that 12-step program. Um, you know, in Kansas City, it was awesome because there was um, 80th Street was where the meetings were, and they had 40 meetings a week at this place. Uh, basically, every two hours a day, every day, they had meetings. and so it was easy. You know, you get out here and, you know, you you talk, say, Rice County where there's two meetings a week and it's a lot harder for people. So there's so many resources out there online and otherwise that can help. Um, so anyway. Uh, so basically,
0: if, if I can paraphrase on that, you're saying that like AA and those things are kind of like a tool in the toolbox, not the entire toolbox. Exactly. So use use all the tools out there to your advantage and leverage them to your advantage. Exactly. Okay. Um, would you
2: say finding like something to distract your mind, like going to the gym, this and that is
1: something that would help people too, or? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, the, the gym works in several ways because, and, and, and this is my experience that one, you get the dopamine mm-hmm. when you work out uh, Two, It gives you something to do so that you're not, physically drinking at that moment because when you're, when you're fresh in recovery and you're just trying to quit drinking or drugging or doing whatever, every hour that you don't drink or use is huge. And so if that hour is sitting in the gym, that's better than, than doing nothing. Um, but especially then you work out, you get the dopamine, you get that, that fix and it feels good. And then also, Again, in my experience, the more you work out and the more you, every healthy step you take makes you want to take that next healthy step. So just the simple act of working out, at least for me, made my brain think, why do I want to drink when I just invested that last hour working out and knowing that that would negate everything that I just did. Um, so yeah, in several ways, the gym is great. Um, Early on for me, I volunteered at a, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not, not sanctuary, but, uh, bird rescue. So, uh, a parrot, re- big bird rescue. And, uh, I would go when they would have events at pet stores and other places, they would have events where they'd take all the birds to, and, you know, and we would show the birds to people to try to get people to adopt them. And, and it was fun. I've never owned a bird probably will never own a bird especially (laughs) 40 years old is actually too old to buy a big bird i mean they'll they'll outlive you oh yeah parrots will live to be 90 it's insane um yeah they say never buy a big bird without putting it in your will because Mm -hmm. they will outlive you
2: that's the way uh like my parents bought the koi fish for their ponds Mm -hmm. said put them in your will because they'll outlive you that's insanely that's insane to think about and then uh (laughs) A uh, crane came in and ate the koi fish. <laughs> so, so you can go ahead and take them out of the wheel now. <laughs> <laughs> we, we bought mom more a couple of years ago for uh, Mother's Day, so they've got more koi in there. But we definitely try to keep the cranes away
1: now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, don't shoot them. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, definitely not. No, the, the icing on the cake would be if the cranes came in like five minutes after somebody told you that. <laughs> <laughs> <Come on. laughs> just Just getting home and... From
2: the attorney's office, signing the paperwork and
0: stuff for the will. Just knowing how your mom is, I can only imagine how impressed she was. She probably was not happy. It was like uh, Thanksgiving
2: Day, like three years (laughs) ago. So we had this huge like spread, and it was the
0: the, the whooping. The crane was just trying to get his Thanksgiving dinner.
2: That's exactly what it was, (laughs) and he had one about eight koi fish that were about that big.
1: Oh my goodness! (laughs) Yeah, he had a heck of a meal. How could he fly away after that?
0: A large wingspan. Yeah. <laughs> so you, the, you're helping take care of the birds.
1: Okay. Yeah. And that that really helped. It got it got me out of myself. You know, any time that you can get out of your own head and focus on somebody or something else really helps. And that's one of the ways that recovery has has really helped me. Is I have this like thirst for empathy now. Like I want to know how other people view things, how other people want to react to things. Um, and so I, I try to talk to as many people as I can just, and and sometimes that's asking uneasy questions. Um, you know, like I have a, a cousin who is black and we were having a discussion about a year or so ago and we were talking about something and all of a sudden it dawned on me. And so I, I just turned to him and I said, so what, what do you like to be called? You know, are do you like to be called black or African American or whatever? And he stopped and just stared at me for a second. (laughs) I thought, um, you know (laughs) what I I do? Yeah. And, but what it was, was he, the next thing he said was like, wow, nobody has ever asked me that before. He goes, I've never even really thought of it before. He goes, you know, I, I think I like to be called black. And so, okay. I'm like, that's what I've I'll call had that you.
0: same conversation with my son, you know, mm-hmm. what, cause he could choose. I mean, he's half and half. So what do you identify with? What, what do you want to put? Like, if I put it down on a form, I want to put down accurately what you want. Yeah. And that's I had that same conversation.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know, it's a scary thing to ask somebody, you know, I mean with your son, it, it could be awkward, but yeah, to ask and I guess with me, it was my cousin. So he knows me, he knows well, where yeah, I but come the from. the
0: relationship's not as close. I could see that. Yeah. You know, it, it'd be like, you know, you walking up to the street and asking somebody that would be kind of weird, you know, yeah. same, that same type of feeling.
1: But, you know, and so I think if, a lot of times if people can just get over that fear and ask people those awkward questions, like, uh, just today we were at a guy that I know, um, uh, from the libertarian party, his wife owns a quinceanera shop, uh, most beautiful dresses you've ever seen, and I—I I didn't know, so I just asked. I said, "So, is a quinceanera just a a Mexican thing, or is it a like Hispanic Latin culture thing?" And I, I learned today that some Latin cultures celebrate it. It's becoming more uh, common, but it's definitely more of a Mexican thing, and that's where it started from, was in Mexico. Um, And just even saying that right there, I realized that I have this aversion to saying Mexican, even if I am literally referring to something from Mexico, because, you know, we've almost been kind of trained that it's not okay to say, you know, because I understand a lot of people, they they lump all Latin people into one group, but now it, uh, so I learned that quinceañera is predominantly a Mexican thing, but other areas do it too. So well, we,
0: we have a, an intern uh, riding with us that his family's from uh Durango, Mexico. And so I was kind of asking him like, what is the, what is the term that I can use on the street that just kind of like encompasses? He's like, there's no possible way for you to offend anyone um From that area, if you just basically say Hispanic, like he's like, that's kind of the all-encompassing. Mm-hmm. He's like, if you say Hispanic, then boom, like you're set, you're ready to go. I'm like, okay, cool. Like that, that makes some sense. So, uh yeah, I, I get those those hard conversations. Um,
1: the people that I've asked, the only people that get offended when you say Hispanic are woke white people. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right, exactly. I,
1: I've never had a Hispanic Latin person get mad for, for saying either one of those terms, but yeah. <laughs> so
0: if we could go, if we could uh, go back just a little bit. Yeah. So I know, I know when it comes to um, uh, fighting, you know, an addiction to anything and it's interesting because a, a lot of people like to label, right. You know, of like, well, you're addicted, you were addicted to alcohol, so you're worse than me, but I'm addicted to McDonald's. Right. Like I mean, you could, you can have that, that like draw to anything. Right. Um, so like what for you and it's kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's still like kind of a, a daily walk from time to time or sometimes even maybe an hourly walk. Like you, you were talking about of like where you get that want or whatever again. So what was it that kind of like changed for you? And I guess got you more into like the healing arts. Cause the one thing we haven't talked about is, you know, you're a chiropractor now. I mean, you went from, you went from football player to construction worker to, uh, odd jobs, uh, yeah, at a hundred things shop. in between. Yeah. yeah. And. <laughs> And so like kind of, kind of navigate us through that story. And I think it's interesting of, of you coming into like more of the healing arts. And, and also I thought it was interesting um, to, to give you an idea. The very first time I saw Seth uh, for an adjustment because of strong man, like one of the very first things I, he, like, I remember him like, Hey, you know, I'm Seth. Nice to meet you. And like, he's kind of doing the manipulation and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And I'm just like, uh, that, that's an easy, that's an interesting way to start the conversation, but you know, I mean, it, it I mean, it was just cool to see you, like you didn't care, like you were just out there and like, here it is. And that kind of thing. I mean, of course it wasn't just that abrupt, but it was, it was, it was for most conversations abrupt. Uh, not that it bothered me, mm-hmm. but, um, but you know, so you, I think it's cool how, you know, you, you've navigated that and what you have to go through to keep your license. You were telling me some mm-hmm. of that stuff that you have to go through. So Kind of kind of walk us through the, the navigation of that and kind of where you started to turn. I guess, you know, you talked about taking care of the birds was getting out of your own mind and what made you go into chiropractic and, and that kind of stuff.
1: Okay. Uh, I was very early 20s when I got my CNA. Um, I've always felt a calling towards healthcare. And so I got my CNA, you know, because that's a good intro into that world. Um which for anyone that doesn't know certified nurse assistant. So we do the really dirty work. Um, the ones changing diapers and cleaning up bodily fluids. Um, and so no matter what I did and where I went, it always seemed to come back to that. Um, not just because it was a good job because I, I loved it. Um, I worked in several different nursing homes and, then uh, I did a semester of nursing school, and that was not for me. Um, I I love nurses. Two of my sisters are nurses, and I love what they do. But I I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, I need I need more autonomy. Um, whereas with nurses, it doctors orders. Yeah, that you're kind basically of thing. being told everything to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and in fact, a lot of nurses know just as much, if not more (laughs) than the medical doctors. Well, I'll tell you when my, when
0: my wife was in the hospital with our kids, um, uh, you know, and, and having childbirth, the nurses took care of 99% of everything. Mm -hmm. And it was like, Hey, baby's getting ready to come. Doctor came in for five minutes. Doctor was gone. Yeah. (laughs) That was what it was
1: to, to correct myself. Not know more than doctors, but know nearly as much. So more than is probably a stretch, but
0: well, it's kind of like a really great, you know, quote unquote, administrative assistant in in any oh, business. Yeah. Like they, they know more of the internal workings and the how to's and the who to calls and a
1: good doctor will hire a good nurse and will listen to that nurse. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the, when I worked in a hospital nurse would be like, okay, yeah, I'll call the doctor and tell him to do this, you know, <laughs> which was really cool. Um, but yeah, I, I just knew that that wasn't, that wasn't my space. That wasn't me. Um, and then it wasn't until I met my wife that I even knew what a chiropractor was. Um, my wife worked for a chiropractor and I like, I got to learn more and more about what chiropractic is and what they do. And I thought, this is it. This is where I belong. Um, so I was towards the end of my, uh, binge drinking when I started chiropractic school. Um, you know, I'd have the long points of sobriety and then I would go out for a week and early on in school, I had to restart a couple of trimesters because of that. Um, then I really started finding recovery towards the end of chiropractic school. You know, by the time I got into clinic, things were going pretty smooth. Um, and I, I did, um, 12 step programs, um, and um, a little bit of smart recovery, which is also pretty good. Um, it's And then the more I dove into that and looked into that, I should say, I discovered, okay, it's based on cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay, cognitive behavioral therapy is based on a lot of Stoic philosophy. So I started digging into Stoic philosophy and... Really, it says a lot of the same things as 12-step programs, but it's through a different lens. And for some reason, that clicked with me more. And so I, I can't say that it was all Stoic philosophy that and Stoicism that got me sober, but it, it was the final piece of the puzzle. And so I started um, studying that more. I started applying that more in my life. And uh, then I... I I'm getting close to graduating from chiropractic school. Um, I'm applying for my license to practice. There's a question on there. Are you now or have you ever, something like that, been addicted to alcohol or drugs? So I I check yes. A big part of my recovery is always being honest. So I check yes. And then uh, there's also a thing you have to submit to a background check like, okay, no problem. I had, let's see, it would have been 2003-ish was when I got my last DUI. I have had three DUIs um, going all the way back to when I was 21. Um, They were, they were spaced out. So, you know, I never had that three in that 10 year period where I had a felony or anything like that. But I, I made that mistake and I've, I paid for it and I thought, okay, you know, I can, I can move on. Well, then, um, the state got my application and they said, based on what you put, you have to go take this evaluation. But okay. So I have to go do this $3,000 evaluation. Oh my goodness. Two days, uh, $3,000 and completely open and honest with the guy. Tell him everything about my life. And, at the end of it, he says, okay, I think you need to be – <laughs> sorry, if you hear any laughing, it's because some of the acoustic tiles are falling off the wall and just every now and then <laughs> one will just woo, float down. Um,
0: yeah, we didn't follow the instructions like we probably should have on the uh, tiles on the wall. One hit me in the back a little while ago, so well, that's you, why Seth's laughing.
1: If if you did follow the instructions, then we might have to revoke your man card. So Yeah, yeah.
0: well, here we are. <laughs> so um,
1: so at the end of all of that, they tell me I need to be on three years of monitoring. I thought that was a little steep, but that was what they said, so that's what I did.
0: So what's monitoring?
1: Um, so for the monitoring, I had to download an app onto my phone. I had to check in every morning. Um, and when I checked in, it would tell me whether or not I had to do a UA that day. Um, I had to do an average of two UAs a month for three years. Um, I had to do, um, between two and three meetings every week, uh, which I, you know, did a lot of meetings anyway, but it was then a matter of, if I didn't log in on my phone, I didn't go to that meeting. And so, um, so I had to do all of that and all of that then cost about $200 a month that I had to do for three years.
0: Um, Don't and, you love it how the government's like? I'm going to require you to do this, but you have to pay for it. Uh-huh. That 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 irks me.
1: Anyway, continue. Kind of like breathalyzers, and yeah. 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 Um, so, so I I did my monitoring, and I I got off of that. Um, in fact, just a, a week ago today was my four year sobriety. Congrats! Um, so I've got four years now, and you know it. The first the first year was, was pretty rough. Um, and you know, going back a little before that, you know, something that, um, could potentially be helpful for someone, uh, on my left forearm, I have a tattoo and I got it in Hebrew. So not everyone could just read it. Um, but I never don't tell people when they ask. And it says, just do the next right thing. And that's something that I got from stoicism. Instead of being uh, depressed about the past or anxious about the future, just live in the moment and focus on what's the next thing that you can do. Because all we have control over is our next action. Um, And then beyond that, who knows? Because that action might lead to whatever, and then you have to decide that next action. And sometimes for me, because I was living in Kansas City at the time, well, Overland Park, um, driving home from school, If I knew that I could turn left to go to a liquor store, I would get in the right hand lane. And then, of course, there's a liquor block, liquor store every like two blocks. So on the next block, it would be a right hand turn to go to the liquor store. I would get in the left lane. You know, there were times where I had to break my day down like that just to try to stay sober. Um, and that, that's very exhausting to be that. Consciously of where, consciously aware of your decisions like that all the time, um, but it is worth it. Especially you know, in the, if you're fighting fighting addiction, it is so worth it. Um, and that's where accountability helps too. You know, I had some sponsors that for the first month I had to text them every hour, you know, just to help stay on track. Um, but then you know, um, I I had my last drink. I finally. I had some long-term sobriety. So the first year was kind of rough. Um, Just avoiding liquor stores. um, Avoided a lot of events where there was drinking. um, Because I was worried that I might be tempted to drink. Uh, But then after that, it it, it got easier. Um, I still avoid events where people are going to get drunk. But it's just because... After being sober for four years, going to a lot of bars, I never realized until I got sober how bad bars smell. Oh my god! I remember the first time there. It was it was a school function, and so this was before I found you know my final sobriety. But um, I had been sober for a few months, and the school had a function at a bar. You know, it was a dive bar. It was a karaoke night, and I remember walking in and just how. bad bad it smelled stale beer and just fried food and, and just, cigarette smoke usually yeah. and it i'm like oh my god i never realized what bars actually smelled like because i mean i would always have at least at least a half a pint if not a pint in me when i went to a bar
2: so you're adding to that smell before yeah <laughs> so i <you're> just smell <laughs> the smell yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> i walked in smelling like it and uh, so but now it's just more that sloppy drunk people annoy me. Mm -hmm. And so I just choose not to be there. Uh, I'm not worried about drinking myself. You know, my wife enjoys the occasional drink. And so we have alcohol in the house and it's not at a point now where anything tempts me, you know, like I'll open the cupboard looking for something and there's her bottle of crown and it's like, okay, whatever. No, but that's not up here. Okay. Maybe it's in this next place. And uh, so, and that's, you know, when I earlier when I said I'm going to make a lot of alcoholics mad right now, um, for me, I believe that I drank myself into the addiction. I mean, their genetic precursors were there. I can rapidly process alcohol. Therefore, I can drink a lot of alcohol. And when, when I did my bachelor's degree um, at chiropractic school, I had to write a 30-page research paper luckily they let us choose the topic. And so I did mine on epigenetics and alcoholism and, um, how it could potentially change the way that we diagnose and treat addiction. And man, I learned so much doing that. So
0: I'm sure that was a, a a piece of therapy even in a little way for you too. Oh yeah. 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 Um, just cuz i know how your brain works you like knowing the hows
1: and the whys and the you know of things <laughs> oh definitely yeah. yeah i'm a i'm the kind of guy that tears some stuff apart to figure out how yeah. they work and um i believe that addiction is a disease but not a chronic one and so when i say i drank my way into alcoholism i was physically and psychologically addicted to alcohol um the more you drink your body actually is able to filter out and process and remove the alcohol um, less than before. So the whole tolerance thing to alcohol is purely in the way your brain adapts to be able to function under the influence of alcohol. But it's not that you can actually process alcohol better. So alcohol actually stays in your system longer. And the longer the alcohol is in your system – the more it causes epigenetic changes that make you desire alcohol more. So, um, you know, stuff the way uh, that GABA is produced and secreted, all that kind of stuff. So, and for anyone that's listening that doesn't know, epigenetics is, well, I can't say it is the kind of front line of genetic study anymore because it's since been taken over by proteomics. But anyway, epigenetics is not the change in your genes, your DNA, but the change in the way your genes are expressed. So uh, say you have a gene, I have a gene in my liver cells that allows me to process alcohol quicker than the average person. The epigenetic change due to excessive drinking is that that gene is not expressed as much and so therefore I can process it slower. So these epigenetic changes make you want more alcohol in your brain, the way your brain works. So it it can easily spiral out of control. Um, and that's why I believe that I drank my way into addiction, into alcoholism. But if you look at the medical definition of addiction, it actually states it's the continued use of a substance or behavior despite the ill effects that come from it. So I drink, I lose a job. I drink, my marriage starts failing. I drink, I have to redo a trimester of school. I keep drinking, therefore I'm an alcoholic. I stop drinking. Whether or not good things happen, once I stop drinking, I no longer am addicted. Um, So, and again, I'm going to make a lot of addicts and alcoholics mad saying this, that I consider myself a recovered alcoholic. Now there's always a chance for relapse. I don't view recovered as I'm fixed forever. There's always a chance for relapse, but I call myself a recovered alcoholic because I no longer drink. And without the continued use of that behavior or substance, you're not addicted anymore. I think too many people take that chronic viewpoint of alcoholism, and they just remain miserable their entire life, whether or not they ever drink or use again.
0: Um, I I have to agree with some of that because I've been in some of that same place with uh with with my mental health journey with my therapist of, you know, basically uh, you you actually gave me Epictetus's um, I forget the name of the book. Why am I drawing a blank up on the book? Um that you gave me the little paperback one in, but in, anyway you in, gave that and caridian yeah you gave me that and and i've also followed that even prior to you you know prior to talking to talking it over with you stoicism is always something that's been very interesting to me because you have guys like marcus aurelius who were phenomenal men but then you read that and you're like holy cow they were struggling with stuff the same way as me yeah uh, and so uh uh, that that was my segue into. I like the idea of stoicism, and I like the you know mental health and all this other kind of stuff. And you being saying recovered because I think there's a lot to that mindset. Because I told my therapist, I said I am I'm worried that now that I'm acknowledging this feeling that I feel depressed. Right, I've never felt this in my entire life before that I can wrap my mind around. If that I'm acknowledging this and I'm thinking about it all the time, that now I'm gonna stay in that. You know, like I, that's where my mindset's at. Mm. And so I think there's something to what you're saying, because it's like it's like uh, uh I hear a lot of people say like how they uh, a lot of officers, they have to take a lie detector test like every year. And they say the best way to get around that is you just you just tell yourself like that's like you answer that question. No, even though you've done something, because that's who I used to be. And so it's the mindset part of of. I'm not living in that, right? Like I'm not thinking about it constantly. Like I've moved that, that is a part of my story. It's like Scott was talking about, you know, in, in the podcast, like that's a part of my story and that, you know, made me into who I am, but it's not my story. Like mm-hmm. I'm still writing that. I still have the pen. There are still blank pages. You know, I can't go back and rewrite those pages. So why am I sitting here worrying constantly I'm rolling that over in my mind, worrying about this, worrying about that. So I think that there's some credence to that. And of course, and, like, I sit across to you with a business management degree and know none of that stuff, <laughs> but um, having lived some of it, um, I think it's important because the way that he has dealt with his problems is the, different than the way I've dealt with my problems, which is different than the way you've dealt with the problems. Are there some similarities? Yes, but I think uh, I think there's some credence to that. And you know, if if you're listening and you highly disagree, would love to hear hear from you, um, and, and or or even if you do agree, like some papers or something that wouldn't help us to understand it better. So sorry if I interrupted you there. No,
2: you're good. I already forgot what I was going to say though. So. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um,
0: but it, it, I think that there's, there's definitely credence to what you just said. Um, because I think if you're just constantly living in it in your brain, then you're going to manifest it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to, uh, you know, when we're in the gym and we're doing our things of, of, I think that there have been days that, you know, I'm like hyped up, right. My brain is hyped up, right. And I can do things in the gym that I normally don't do. Mm-hmm. So I think you can manifest a lot with, with your brain, um, and, and the resiliency that you can get through, through the processes of, of living life. Um, so you, uh, you train strongman powerlifting. Actually, you've been doing more powerlifting lately, but I think you're wanting to make that return to strongman,
1: right? Yeah. My, my last competition was powerlifting. Um, and and it was fun. There's a lot of rules.
0: Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> yes.
1: strongman, it's like... Lift heavy thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty, we don't care how you do it. Just
0: get it done.
2: Yep, There's just, enough rules for a 10-minute rules meeting before five-minute rules meeting before the competition,
1: you know, and <laughs> uh-huh. you're good to go. You know, at, at the powerlifting... Me- and I am going to say this, even though it doesn't make it sound as impressive. They just added in uh, powerlifting a 140-kilo weight class. So... They just added this new weight class. So when I did my meet, there were no state records. (laughs) So, (laughs) so I set three state records at my last powerlifting meet, you know, sounds impressive, but, um, but in order for them to, for it to go on the books, they have to do a, like a pat down after you perform the lift to make sure you're not wearing any band things, you know, like, um, Power, your singlet has to be a certain thing. You know, you have to wear a shirt underneath your singlet for bench press and squat. Your sleeves must extend at least two inches past the your sh- armpit. Your um, well, goodness. you just convinced me not to do it. I was going to me. say, <laughs> gracious. Socks must come above the calf, but um, they cannot come into contact with your knee sleeves. Your knee sleeves cannot come into contact with your singlet. If they do, it does not count. Um, your wrist wraps for bench press, if any part of your wrist wrap comes in contact with the bar, it doesn't count. Um, so you have to make sure to pull a little thumb loop off and tuck it in back behind. So it doesn't touch. And, uh, I think I'll stick with strongman. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, Katie throw, uh, throws a really good meat and it was at top crop, which is a great gym. Um, it, it was a lot of fun. And I had my rubber ducky singlet, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, which I just recently—I don't know if you saw my new weightlifting shoes. Huh? Oh yeah, the, the yellow ones, banana yeah. yellow yep, high right, tops. Right, right, yep, so, oh yep. yeah. So match my rubber duckies. So, um, I think they'd look good with my Andre the Giant singlet that I yeah. wear sometimes too. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got I got into strongman uh, a couple years ago, a couple few years ago now.
0: That was actually one of the things that we talked about when you very first. I was like, yeah, I do strongman, and you're like, oh yeah, I want to do that. And then like, that was was kind of the rest is history
1: from Mm -hmm. there. I, I hadn't gone to the gym much. I got out of it. Um, obviously with all the drinking I was doing, I didn't have time to lift. So, (laughs) Uh, and, uh, and then chiropractic school, I wasn't drinking near as much, but I had school and I didn't, I would go once every two months and work out and get sore. And then I wouldn't go for another couple months. And, um, then, uh, I get into practice and I was I was just in a rut. And you know I was I was over a year sober and so it wasn't as much that I was wanting to drink but I was getting bored and I know that me and boredom don't mix. Yep. If I'm bored for too long then I get in trouble. Good so, thing good thing you bought a farm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never bored out there. Oh, always no. something to do. Um and so I I decided I want to try strongman cuz you know I remember watching back in the day, you know, Magnus Ver Magnuson dominating yep. right. and just it was but I never thought that it was something that was available. You know, I thought you had to be in some secret club somewhere in order to do yeah. strongman.
0: I was always like I'll never be that strong. I'll never be able to do
1: anything like that ever. And uh so yeah, I'm like, I, I'm going to do, I want to get into strongman, So I go to the gym and I was talking to Ashley and she was like, oh yeah, I think Nick and Felicia are training for that. So I, yeah, introduced myself to you guys and that, that was kind of it. You know, uh, I, I started, started working out and then I think that was like three months before two or three months before Scott's competition. I go back into the gym after not lifting heavy for. Fifteen years. Three months later, do my first strongman competition. <laughs> and and
0: just to illustrate this point, this dude goes, steps up on the deadlift platform, and does three lifts, and jumps a hundred pounds with each deadlift lift. <laughs> and you ended at what six hundred that day?
1: Six hundred, yeah. Yeah.
0: So he went, he went four hundred on his first lift, five hundred on his second lift, and six hundred on his third lift. And everybody was looking at him like, "What are you doing? This
1: guy's crazy. You're you're insane." <laughs> I I had only trained on it was a trap bar deadlift and I had only trained on the trap bar two or three times before the comp and I did like 415 I think or something or with the trap bar before 30 but and kind of tweaked my back a little so I'm like okay but I could pull that so I'll start at 4 and I pull I'm like man that was easy I think I can do 5
0: <laughs> and I so- remember all of us were like
1: you're going to do what? <laughs> And so I go up and I pull five and it, it was easy It for those that have never competed, like the, the comp day rush and adrenaline yes. is so real. Yep. You can do things in a competition that you would never be able to do outside. Yep. And so 500 was easy and rusty was my main comp competition. And so he saw me pull five. So then he went for six for his last one, thinking like, okay, I got this, you know, in the bag. Then I go and put six for my next one. I almost put 610, but after pulling six, I got six, but not easy. And, like, I don't know if I had 610 in me. Rusty easily had 610 in him. (laughs) I mean, 600 was easy for him. And so I think he ended up getting second. I don't remember by he, like he got
0: a he got a podium, yeah, I don't remember what
1: um but he if he would have gone six ten, which he could have easily done and beaten me, it would have bumped him up a spot, yeah, um to not have to share points because we tied for first on that, and talking to him later, he was kicking himself so hard because he saw that I had five for my second attempt, so he didn't think that he had to push himself and uh so that we had a good laugh about that. That was also his first time trying smelling salts. Was that competition? <laughs> well,
0: because um, were were you you and I were in the same division, didn't we? Do novice heavyweight? Yeah, we were both in that. And rust that was Rusty's like what second or third contest as well, or something like that. Yeah, you know, he yeah. was pretty new as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I actually look back at those pictures and even like seeing you now and thinking back to that picture of you pulling that because I've got that of like just how much different you look, like healthier. Mm-hmm you know, that you look through the process of everything that you've been doing. And the same thing with me of just, you know, again, I'm not uh, Fabio or anything, but, you know, just the general way that we, you know, your general appearance of like, okay, my body's a little bit happier than it used to be. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of a, kind of a cool process. So,
1: oh yeah, my, my first three months back in lifting, lifting heavy, um, you know, of course a little bit older and wiser, um, but first three months of lifting heavy, everything hurt everything hurt all the time um but i smartly in in a smart way stuck with it and i haven't felt this good in 15 20 years you know like i haven't felt this good and i can't even remember um my knees which always gave me trouble barely give me trouble anymore yeah um You know, there were days that I couldn't raise my arms, my shoulders hurt so bad, before I started lifting again. And now I'm pain-free, essentially, most of the time. So, You do the snap,
0: crackle, pop when you get up, and then once everything's in place, you're good to go. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I do. I stand up, and it's like... Okay, we're good now. Yeah, Everything's I, fine.
1: I have a little kind of lean to the right that I do to get my thoracics to pop, and then oh, yep, there we go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so so uh, one thing I also want to talk about that I thought was interesting was, um, one day you asked, or you and I were in a conversation and we were talking about like blood results, and you were talking about how you look at things a little bit differently, um, than mm-hmm. than the way like a a normal kind of I guess doctor does. Um, and like, so if, if people are looking, cause obviously let's face it, like I can pull my blood results up on my phone right now, like that at the, literally at the, the tip of your, you know, at your fingertips. Uh, so what are some things like, how do you, how do you look at things differently as a chiropractor versus, versus, uh, how you look at it or a regular doctor would look at it?
2: Sunlight <laughs> just, just sitting here, just blinding me. Oh God damn it! Half of them fell back down.
1: So there's there's two basic ways to look at the blood results. Um, there's the uh, clinical range, and then there's the functional range. So when you when you get your results back, and it has that range on there, that's the clinical range. So that is the range that tells you whether or not that there's disease. So, if your blood sugars over a certain point, you're diabetic. Um, whereas with functional range, it's usually a much broader range, and or I'm sorry, uh, a more narrow range. But anyway, the functional range is more for optimal health than it is for just clinical health, whether or not you're sick. Um, we also take into account uh, oh, and of course the word just escapes me um, uh, biochemical individuality. So your ideal magnesium level is different than my ideal magnesium level. You know, no two people are going to have the exact same ideal level. What we've noticed a lot in our practice for people that with cramping and muscle spasms is that they need to increase their magnesium. They increase their magnesium, cramping goes away. That person just needs more magnesium than the average person. So if you were to do blood work, though, on that person, they it, it might say, oh, no, your magnesium level is fine. You know, you don't need magnesium. When direct experience will tell you that supplementing that helped. So we look at that from a wide variety of different things. So... Um... it it all starts with the symptoms, what you're, what the person is feeling. And there's a lot, I'm not, uh, not trying to trash talk the entire medical profession here. Um, a lot of them are overworked. A lot of them are just taught that these are the clinical ranges. So you get your blood work done. Everything's in the normal box, but there's still something going on with you. You're still sick. You know, there's a lot of different things that, might be off for you um, if you have every symptom of I'm trying to think of a, a prime example if you have every symptom of an autoimmune condition but all of your inflammatory markers are within normal limits on the on your blood work, you know, we, we, we're going to dig deeper than that. We're going to look at, okay, what what are all of your different white cell counts? What are all of your different inflammatory markers? What, what are they at? And then we'll start investigating and experimenting with different things that you can change with your diet and your exercise that can affect those conditions. So we're not going to write it off and say, well, no, you're healthy. If just because you fall within the clinical markers, um, and then like you talked about earlier with the blood work and just being optimal, um, there are certain things that, you know, I, as a chiropractor, I don't have, uh, prescription rights, right. Prescription medications are outside of my scope of practice. Um, but there are, I think that people in general have this negative stigma about going back into the lifting performance, enhancing drugs. Um, especially what people just generically refer to as steroids. Um, you know, I take steroids every time I get poison Ivy. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It, it's prednisone. It's still a steroid. It's not anabolic. I, I think testosterone is very underutilized. Mm-hmm. Um, if a per and, and they just lowered the limit again, you know, it used to be, I think 500, was the low number. They just lowered it, I believe to 300. So they're making it even lower, even harder for men to get on testosterone. Whereas when taken responsibly, it has a lot of benefits, not just in performance, just overall, overall being. Yeah. yeah. Overall right. for well. Yeah. And so um, there's a lot of different, th- that's why I've, I've really love chiropractic is just kind of the mindset is different. I don't really get into the philosophy of it as much. Um, You're just the nuts and bolts, and yeah. here it is pretty much. Yep. Uh, w- within the chiropractic profession, there's a, a bit of a schism between the pure philosophy people and the more science-minded people. And I definitely fall on the science side. I can understand and appreciate the, the philosophy side of it, uh, but I definitely fall more into the science side of it. I want to know... Again, how things work. I want to be able to read research that backs up what I'm doing. Um, You know, talk about cutting costs in healthcare, but yet chiropractic is barely covered by Medicare. Yeah. Um, A Medicare patient walks into my office and Medicare does not cover um, an exam. Uh, Medicare states that we have to give them an exam, but then doesn't pay for it. (laughs) Um, It used to be that a Medicare patient had to get x-rays before they would go to a chiropractor. Um, But of course, they wouldn't pay for the x-rays if a chiropractor took them. Um, I can't refer a Medicare patient to get x-rays. If I want Medicare to pay for my patient's x-rays, I have to send them back to their medical doctor for them to order them.
0: And then they're having to pay the medical doctor the, to then Medicare has me, to pay then the make medical that order. <laughs> yep, and then pay for the extra. Oh, goodness gracious!
1: And there's numerous studies out there that so show, doc- doctors wrote all these laws. Is what you're saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, the chiropractors <laughs> have nothing to do with the lawmaking here. Yeah, yeah. you're just you're just the voodoo witch doctor. We uh, we're working on it, but yeah, our lobbies just have not been as strong as the AMA mm-hmm. has, you know, for a long time. So, but but we're working on it. Uh, we have a great relationship with the medical doctors Mm -hmm. in our community. Um, you know, I talked to some of my friends that are chiropractors in bigger cities and they just, I think part of it is their mindset going into a relationship with a medical doctor. Um, but yeah, they just don't get along, but ours is great. I mean, I, we won the lottery as far as that goes. Mm -hmm. The medical community in Rice County is amazing. Well, I, I
0: listened to an, an audio book of a guy that was a Navy SEAL, got hurt, uh, long story short on that. And he tried everything. Like you were talking about those clinical ranges, the optimal ranges, all that other kind of stuff. He'd gone to a doctor and the doctors kind of finally went, put their hands in the air. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And he went to a chiropractor. He's like, never been before, thought it was stupid, you know, et cetera, et cetera. He's like, they fixed me. He's like, when nobody else could fix me, they fixed me. And he, so he ended up actually becoming one. And was you know helping treat soldiers with that like as kind of like a first you know or 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 even sometimes the the fix, um, not to say that of course you know somebody walks in with their arm dangling off by the skin you're going to fix that right so I mean everything yeah. has its place but uh, I I, th- I think it's interesting and I've had nothing but good luck from you know, coming to you guys. And, you know, the one time that I've called going, oh, God, please help me right now. <laughs> and then your wife, you know, working me over and making it. And she's like, you can lift tonight if you want. And I was like, "I, if I had not
1: come here, I wouldn't have been able to lift tonight. Mm-hmm. Like I would have called it a day. So, yeah, And the research is out there that for back pain, if you start with the chiropractor, the cost is significantly lower than if you start at the medical doctor.
0: Yeah, because they're going to require you to do all the – Physical therapies, the cortisone shots, like my wife had been through all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. All that stuff.
1: Yep. Standard pain pills, muscle yep. relaxers. Doesn't get better. You move on to physical therapy. That doesn't help. Then you move on to surgery. Well, they and, made her
0: do injections and then the surgery.
1: Mm-hmm. And if the, the the studies are out there that, um, you know, surgery is where the big cost comes in. And if you start at a medical doctor, you are significantly more likely to end up with surgery than if you start with a chiropractor. And there's a lot of we, – we have several patients too that come to us and a big part because we are in the state of Kansas physicians. We are primary care physicians. When people come to us, a big part of our job is knowing when it's beyond us. Yeah. You know, when when we need to say, no, you need to go to the medical doctor, you need to go get an MRI, a CT, you need to go get this done. Um, and, again, we're lucky where we are. The medical community in Rice County is amazing. If somebody comes in with, a, a you know, back pain or shoulder pain, um, if it's something, uh, headaches, you know, whatever, and the doctors, um, the MDs or the DOs, think that an adjustment might help. They send them, you know, send them to us and, and, and it's a good back and forth. Um, and, and we have had some where we've sent the patient off to their medical doctor and then we get a call two weeks later thanking us so much because they had family or friends trying to tell them they need to go to the doctor, but they refused. And then finally they're like, okay, I'll go to the chiropractor. And then they come to us and then we're like, no, this is actually something really serious, or we find something they didn't even know was going on and send them to the medical doctor. Um, I've, I've had two patients that have called me and thanked me for saving their life. Um, one was because of the amount of pain that they were in. They were about to kill themselves. Um, and the other one was that we sent them to the medical doctor um, because they're just something that didn't feel right about their back pain and it turned out to be cancer, but an early stage that was treatable. Um, It was really soon out of school that I had a younger lady on the table and I'm working on her and I, you know, I do the adjustments and then she's just laying there on the table and then she starts crying and I'm thinking like, Oh, what did I do? You know, like, (laughs) did did, did I hurt her? Yeah. And I'm like, are are you okay? And after a few minutes, she says that was the first time in my life that a man has touched me in a healing way. I was, I mean, what what do you say to that? You know? And like those, those are the moments, you know, that are just absolutely amazing. And why I love what I do. And of course, there's a lot of people that are just fun to have in. And uh, the most interesting case that sticks to mind is uh, have you ever heard of a saddle bone Mm -mm. guy came in low back pain, pain in his butt and sciatic pain. So, I mean, all the way from the low back down his leg Um, after a few treatments, We get rid of the sciatic pain. No more pain in his low back. No more pain in his leg. But he still has pain just right in the middle of that left cheek. And so, like, all right, we've been at this for a week and a half. We're going to send you for x-rays. So he goes and gets x-rays. Comes back. And right in the middle of his left butt cheek, (laughs) about the size of a golf ball, this big spot. And so we're reading the report, and it's what's called a saddle bone. And then I'm like, "You got, you know, any kind of a trauma, anything?" He's like, "Well, when I was a kid, I remember walking through a ditch full of snow and stepping in a hole, and it just hurt really bad for a couple of weeks. Like he could barely walk for a couple of weeks. What had happened when he stepped in that hole? It pulled the muscle so hard that." it actually pulled a little bit of bone off of his sacrum. And then that little bit of bone just continued to grow and
0: to calcify.
1: Yeah. And so it was just growing new bone. And um, so then of course we made the surgical referral out and you know, haven't, when we don't see people come back, we hope it's always for a good reason and we haven't had to, he hasn't been back in since. So I'm hoping that all went well, but you know, you get those cases where you have to, Team up with medical doctors to get X rays to send them off for surgical consults, and so
0: uh, so then we make the segue into so governor. <laughs> I haven't even heard this story yet. So, what made you? What made you kind of want to do this? I mean, it was just one day you just came to me and you were like, "Hey, I'm thinking about doing this," and I was just like, "Huh, cool, okay." So, like, what what was your mind uh, mind's eye for that?
1: So i've I've thought off and on about running for an office, you know, here and there. Um, I said I was debating in high school. I actually won state in debate in high school. Like I've always been good at it and um but well, yeah, I could I could run for office. I could do that and then as I also told you that I, you know, started a Young Republicans club when I was in high school. You know, that was when I believed that, you know, they actually stood for small government. Well, I used to be naive as well. Yeah. (laughs) So as, as I've grown up, I've realized for me, actually, I think it's universal that Republicans and Democrats are the same in that they both want big government. They just have different ideas on how they should make other people live their lives. Mm -hmm. So the more I looked into it, I found the libertarian party, um, which, Gets a bad reputation by some people. Yeah, you know.
0: it's, associated, it's anarchy.
1: Yeah. Like, a, uh, no? <laughs> well, and, and most, not most, a good chunk of libertarians will label themselves as anarchists, but they're looking at it from a, more of a theoretical, philosophical point of view, as opposed to a literal point of view. Because um, I've had this discussion with quite a few people in the party, and, you know, they, um, anarchy is a, t- term that's thrown around a lot. Um, are you an anarchist or a minarchist? Um, so minarchist, just minimum government. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are agorists, you know, just uh, trade and barter. Um, a lot of terms that we use within the party and we understand. So I understand when somebody inside the libertarian party says they're an anarchist, I know what they mean, but you say it to somebody that's not. And yeah, they, 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 that person wants to incite violence in the streets. <laughs> exactly. You know, and so they, they don't understand what that actually means. And that messaging has been a big problem within the party. Mm-hmm. And that's a big thing that I'm hoping to address with my campaign. Um, just staying positive, offering the hope that would come from smaller government. Uh, and, but going back to my, you know, debate background. When I first got out of chiropractic school, the office was a little slower. I had more free time on my hands. And so the Lions High School was looking for an assistant debate and forensics coach. So for 2 years I was the assistant debate and forensics coach and absolutely loved it. Still love my kids. Uh they they helped inspire me. You know, they they never said you should run for governor, but being with them And seeing their naivety (laughs) and kind of like, man, something, something really needs to change. And I kept telling them that it's one thing to sit here in a debate competition, you know, in a round of debate and argue about these things. But at some point you have to get involved. You have to do something if you want things to change. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, okay, I need. I need to do something. I need to run for office. And if I don't do it now, I might not ever. So I started looking at what can I run for. And as I started looking around at different things, I know our office, we've been open for three and a half years. So, but we're, we're not at a point where we're comfortable enough to hire another chiropractor. And so House of Representatives and State Senate, Kansas House, State, Kansas Senate, the pay that you get for those wasn't enough that if I were to win the election, we could hire another chiropractor and my, my pay from being a politician could cover it. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. they only make like 30, 20, 20. 20,000 a year. Both of them senators and reps right around in there. Mm -hmm. And they're only there from January to May. So for five months, four to five months out of the year, you're in Topeka and then you're back for seven months. You know, we, especially you can't hire a chiropractor to come in and work for four months of the year, five months of the year. And then, okay, see you later. Mm -hmm. And to do that every year, um, wouldn't work. Um, So I I looked more local and my county commissioner seat doesn't come back up for election until 2024. I'm like, okay, it's only two years, but a lot can happen in that time. And I want to say that I tried, that I did something. So I want to do it now. And this was a year, year and a half ago that I started thinking about this. So it was shortly after the last time my county commissioner got elected (laughs) and for my area. Um, but it was too late for that. So I'm like, well, governor's coming up next November. I think I would be a good governor. You know, I, the way I look at it, the governor is more like a management type of position. Um, More dealing with who goes where and how things work and all of that. It's not the, the politics side of it, you know, like, backroom deals like you pass this through and I'll pass this through, you know, it's with the, the part that I don't like. Um, I thought, yeah, I think I'd be good at that. And so I approached some people inside the libertarian party, like, Hey, I'm thinking about running for governor next year. And as time progressed, I got more and more, uh, deeper into it, looking into what it would take, what, what I'd have to do. Then this year, uh, early this year. And actually it was late last year. I filed officially filed to run for governor, um, and started putting together a campaign team, um, all volunteers, but all people that are just doing it to try to help make a change, um, have a really good team. Now last weekend was our convention where I got the official nomination. So I will be on the ballot in November, um, primaries haven't happened yet, but it's going to be, you know, Kelly Schmidt and Cordell on the ballot. Um, had a great event just this morning, got a lot of sun, um, had a a street fair in Wichita that I went to a lot of fun, met a lot of really cool people there. And, but yeah, it, it started with just a thought that I want to do something. I want to be able to say, I tried after telling the kids however many times, you know, you got to try to make a change at some point. It stuck in my head that, okay, I should maybe practice what I preach. And and here we are.
0: Well, and I think just kind of taking this entire conversation and culminating it. And I think, and, and that's why I wanted a piece of paper because I wanted to write this down because I didn't want to forget it. Was when, if we go back to when you talked about initially being in treatment like that first time and then how you kind of judged those people, right? Because of your lack of like, I guess, experience and life understanding and that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And then bringing you up to where you are now and where your mind space is. And we've, we've heard that through this conversation is, I think the, the one, one of the many reasons that you're going to get my vote. And I think the biggest one is, is because through what I've dealt with the last several years of my, where I'm at mentally, because I used to be in that same place. Like I used to be that cop that was like, you're addicted to opioids. You're a junkie. You know, I'm going to put, you know, you should be thrown in jail and the key should be, you know, thrown Mm -hmm. away. And then coming to find out like what Purdue pharma did and the Sackler family. And you know, we're seeing again with COVID. Uh, anyway, um, what, uh, (laughs) but the, uh, you know of of seeing that and like having that mindset change and then also i'm dealing with my own mental battles and my own struggles and it's given me a whole different perspective on how i am as a police officer you know as far as the grace and the empathy which is what you talked about of being able to give that empathy and i think that that's what i love the most about you as a candidate is You've been through the suck, right? And you've you've talked about it openly on here. And there may be people out there that are like, oh, I don't want that guy for governor. Well, if you're listening to this podcast, what I'm getting at is is Seth is exactly what you want for governor because he's lived it. He's been through it. He understands that kind of stuff, right? His life hasn't been the ivory tower picture perfect. I've had all this money and all this clout. And all this other kind of stuff. Like he's lived it the same way we have. And he, you know, he understands it and he's been through the shit. He's and human just like us. Yeah. And, and I think that's what we really need to get from the candidate and what we need to get from our politicians in general. Cause it used to be that when you went to represent your area, like that was, it was like seen as like a duty, right? Like you, you went there to, to, to be your representative for your area. You went and you did your part and. You know, you were leaving during like harvesting seasons and stuff like that. So you didn't want to be gone long because you needed to get back to your farm and and do harvest and stuff. And so it's kind of morphed away from that. Like I'm doing my duty to help my fellow man and into like, how do I pad my own pocket? Like, how do I make myself look better? How do I gain from this versus what I can get? And I think that's what exactly what you don't bring to the table is. You know, you're you're able to 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 kind of give give that that empathy and say like I've been there, I've done this, and like not only that, but if somebody comes to the table with you and says like Hey, what are some things that we can do better for addiction treatment?" You can be like, "Boom, I got you. Let's try some things." Mm-hmm. You know, um, like you said, you're not necessarily affecting the the day to day policy. You know, as far as like, or excuse me, the the overall reaching policy with like statutes and stuff like that, but. You you will be making certain policy decisions in the in the moments.
1: Oh yeah, and as as the governor, you can definitely set the tone for what's going to be coming up and what's Mm going to happen. You know, I can let them know this is this is what's going to happen before other things happen, and and not be back room about it. You know, like they've been trying for years to get medical marijuana passed, Mm -hmm. and all it is is. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just a playing card, you know, that that they can have Republicans versus Democrats. They're like, oh, so I got the medical marijuana held up in this committee. So if you want to play that card, then, or if I want to, you know, I'll play this card, blah, blah, blah. And it's
0: right. You pass this bill. I'll pass that or I'll push this through committee. If you push that through, that's the
1: way the sports betting was too. It was in that
2: same ordeal. It It finally mm -hmm. passed. They did pass the sports betting.
1: Yeah. And, and even then, the medical marijuana that bill, as it's written, isn't good. It's just a way to add more regulation. It's
2: not. And but the thing is, is there's a whole other legislative session before we could even start to grow anything. Mm-hmm. So we've got a whole other session yeah, to, to, to find, fix things. To fine tune that. But it's still not going. It's not going to be the perfect bill even after another. I mean, it's not going to pass. Well, this look
0: year. at Conceal. I've I brought this up in other podcasts. Conceal carry was the same way. I mean, it was fraught with regulation. Fraught. And now it's, well, if you can legally possess the gun, you can carry it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the regulation, you know? I mean.
1: But that, that reminds me coming back to, you know, earlier when I mentioned that CBD is a big part of uh, oh, yeah, my recovery, right. too, that when I first quit drinking, I could not sleep. Uh, I mean, you drink yourself to sleep for so many nights, then trying to do it sober is impossible. Mm-hmm. And what what worked for me was CBD. And the way that I chose to take it was with an e-cigarette, mm-hmm. uh, because then I could get the exact dosage that I needed when I needed it, and I wasn't taking too much, and I wasn't worried if I was taking too little or any of that stuff. I could puff on that e-cigarette and that's the like, i mean that is the
2: best way to you know so you, it get, to you get it into yeah. your system in either like that, eight that or seconds. smoking bud but the thing is like with our medical marijuana bill
1: there's the, no there's no combustibles no, yeah. I, I know why
2: exactly.
0: that, I, I figured out why that is
2: dang cops
0: no no i seriously seriously if you think about it like let's say for instance okay like
1: if you want something to fail you allow it to happen, but only in a way that it will be sure to fail. Yeah, because I mean, those are the two top sellers: this is mm-hmm. your combustible products.
0: Um, as a as a law enforcement officer on the side of the street, how do I tell the difference between illegal weed and hemp by looking at them? Right that that's probably one of the the lobbying talking points.
2: Even hemp can't smoke.
0: So that's just what I'm saying. Yeah, but if if you put them on a table in front of me, next to me, and say, pick out which one's the weed, I'd be like.
1: Uh, flip a coin, you know
0: mm-hmm. or I say weed is the derogatory term to understand the illegal legal mm-hmm. one, so
1: but yeah it so not allowing combustibles is in my opinion setting it up to fail for medical marijuana because the best way if someone's taking it for anxiety um, or to help them sleep or anything like that, you can allow combustibles so someone can smoke just the amount they need or make them guess with gummies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or take it,
2: go take a gummy on their lunch break or something to help anxiety. And then
1: they come back an hour
2: later and they're freaking blasted out of their mind at work. Yeah.
0: You talked about how that journey through, like, let's go back to the addiction, that journey through addiction. Sometimes is that minute to minute, hour to hour, like you were talking about. Well, if you're having an anxious moment and you're having that feeling, I've had anxiety lately. Again, not something that I've ever felt. And it is not fun. no, And you can take and inhale something and it's in your in your system eight seconds later and it's like, okay. whereas like now you you're like if you're laying there and you're in bed for like 45 minutes and you're just laying there staring at the ceiling in your own brain for 45 minutes going, you know, if I just start drinking, I can go to sleep, just drink. If you just drink, go to sleep. Whereas if you get that into your system right there. okay good. Now I'm tired. Now I go to sleep you know yep. i think that that's that's the important part of that you know that that puzzle yeah. are you going to have people that abuse it yeah people abuse alcohol they abuse cigarettes they abuse everything right but i think that you know making the policy decision on the minority versus what can benefit the majority is a is a bad way to look at yeah. it yeah. i mean
1: look at portugal portugal is a perfect example they now a lot of people like to say portugal legalized everything it, they, it it's not no. that simple. They
0: just did a policy, ch- massive policy change. Yeah,
1: and I'd be mean, very similar to my platform. I mean, I'm I'm not legalize cannabis across the board, you know. And then are you talking like
2: medical and recreational?
1: Yeah, yeah. and any kind of a drug possession that is just for personal use. So mm-hmm. I mean, there would still be personal use amounts versus distribution amounts, and all that kind of stuff. But possession of any drug would only be a misdemeanor that you could pay with a fine. The more people that I've talked to that are in recovery, especially for hard drugs, it took them way longer than it should have to get to recovery because they were afraid to ask for help. Especially if they have kids, if they have family they're afraid to ask for help because then their kids are going to get taken away. They're going to end up in jail. All of these things mm-hmm. that it, where it really
2: takes a big event for them to get thrown in jail and have to go into those recovery, like they're forced exactly. into. Them. And at that point, they're way down
0: the rabbit hole. And, and then, yeah, uh-huh.
2: they're in a they're in a hole that you can't ever debt wise, you know, from all the fines oh, yeah. and everything that is tough to get out of.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
1: so. Um... Yeah, that was a fun tangent. I don't know where we started at well, with that
0: one. Well, just to kind of bring it back a little bit too. Of, so what what is your mind's eye of libertarian? So if you explain what libertarian is, like some people hear libertarian and they think, you know, like the chaos in the streets, right? Like we're going to have burned out cars everywhere and all this other kind of stuff. So what what is what is libertarian? Explain that.
1: So, yeah, a lot of people when they first think of libertarian, they think, you know, a guy with two machine guns just going nuts. With a joint in his mouth. <laughs> With a joint in his mouth. Yeah, exactly. And I know a few libertarians that don't even own a machine gun. Mm-hmm. So that's not always true. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a fun little mantra that I like in the libertarian party is that we want to take over the world and leave everyone alone. Um, a big thing in libertarian philosophy and our ideals is is the NAP. Um, you know, if you saw my, I Heart nap shirts that I have there, uh, the NAP is the non-aggression principle. It means that we don't believe in the initiation of force on another human being. Uh, therefore I leave you alone. You leave me alone. You can do whatever you want and I'm going to do whatever I want. It's no business of the government. What happens between two consenting adults? As long as nobody's getting hurt, unless they like getting hurt, that's their thing. Then let them, you know, do whatever. <laughs> so it's, yeah, um, just leaving everyone else alone. But at the same time, we are also big. You know, I talked about agorism and voluntarism and all of that kind of stuff. A lot of community service involved that in, if you want there's nothing more expensive trying to remember exactly how this goes. There's nothing more expensive than a free government program. Yeah. So if you allow that program to be voluntarily run by individuals, it's going to be a lot more efficient. It's going to get to the people that actually need it. You're not going to be, you donate a hundred dollars to this private voluntary thing. Most if not all of that hundred dollars is going to go to the people that need it. You involuntarily pay a hundred dollars in taxes that they say is going to go to this program, and maybe fifty cents ends up where it needs to go.
0: Well, that's what happened with cannabis in Colorado. Was they kept saying the schools, the schools, the schools, and they ended up giving um, a bunch, you know, to you and to you and me, right? Like if we had the money put on the table, like millions of dollars, but it equated to two thirds of a textbook for every child. Is what they were able to buy with that money that they put into education. So that's just the thing with government is mm-hmm. we'll do all this great stuff with it, but it's like, okay, out of that $100, $2 actually made it to the program.
2: That yeah. sports betting deal was the same way. Like it was supposed to be infrastructure, schools, you know, the taxes. And then it ended up, I don't know actually what it was finalized at, but they were trying to use it to get the Chiefs to come to the Kansas side. Yeah. And so it got tabled for a while. I'm not exactly sure whether, like where the tax revenue is going to go for that now, but I just know that that was another Mm -hmm. issue with that.
1: Yeah. I think, what was it, Ronald Reagan that said, and I like early Reagan, like his 1964, I think, speech um, on behalf of Mondale that he gave. um, He actually references Rice County, Kansas in that speech too. Oh, really? Yeah. um, I think a time for choosing, if you search on YouTube, Ronald Reagan, a time for choosing. It's a good speech. Um back then the Republican Party was actually, you know, they or they at least talked about small government then. Mm-hmm. And his famous quote was the nine most dangerous words ever are I'm from the government you know, man, I'm and I'm here, here to help. help. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you don't even hear those words anymore. <laughs> yeah. The uh another big thing with the Libertarian Party is and there are people that will say it but I, I think if you actually talk to them about it, they wouldn't believe it. We get a bad reputation for being um, anti-law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And at least for me with my campaign and everything, the way I look at it is, obviously I, I don't hate the police. You know, Nick is one of my dear friends. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with many of the laws that they have to enforce. I think most policemen and most law enforcement are here to serve and protect. That's what they really signed up for. That's what they want to do. I don't agree with a lot of the laws that they have to enforce, and I am definitely against anyone. I mean, law enforcement, politics, your boss. I'm definitely, I'm against anyone who abuses their authority. You know, I think anyone that has a position of authority, regardless of what that position is, if they have a position of authority, I believe in holding them accountable. Yep, And... Remember that accountability and holding someone accountable does not mean to pun accountability does not mean punishment. Mm -hmm. You know, it just means when they do something good, great, you reward them. When they do something bad, you hold them. You let them know. Yeah. Yeah. So holding someone accountable is not a matter of punishment. Anyone in authority needs to be held accountable.
2: I know, like the accountability side, like in construction where I work. You know, like if I if I'm doing tile or something, you know, and I mess up, and it's just not a good grout line or something and my boss will come and say, "Hey, let's redo this. Let's make this right, you know." Mm-hmm. So there's just that little bit of accountability and what that turns into eventually like for me is self-accountability like, "Oh, okay, I don't like that line, so let's redo that." And then pass that on down the line
1: kind of thing. So. Yep. And you know, in recovery, accountability is huge. Having mm-hmm. someone to report to to make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um another one that i've heard a lot is oh you guys hate teachers they they people think that we hate teachers
2: like we it's not that you hate you don't hate the teachers the teachers are there they're wanting to i mean teachers want to help kids mm-hmm. and that is their job it's just the education system is
1: uh, we we love good teachers. Yeah. In fact, we love good teachers so much we want more private schools where good teachers can get better pay, mm-hmm. have more opportunities, and do all of that kind of stuff that they are st- stagnant in in the current public school system.
2: I mean, it's like in the private sector right now. Like, if you work hard, you do your job, you can make a lot of money. Like, what is the incentive for a shitty teacher versus a good teacher? Like, there's no. Yep. incentive to be a better teacher and that's exactly
0: you've... what happens when government gets involved in anything mm-hmm. you you remove the incentive
2: yep. or like cops you know you got a shitty cop you got a good cop yeah I'll they, tell, and I'll they, tell. they're they gonna get paid the same regardless
0: yeah i would say i'll tell you um you know when it comes when you look at the statistics which you know you're you're libertarian people listening are gonna be like oh fuck this guy but um <laughs> the when you look at the statistics you know i i perform better but i got the exact same raise as the lowest performing person mm-hmm. yeah so it's like and, and and it's my mindset is like i'm not gonna change me right but there are a lot of people out there that will be look at that I'm, i mean realistically and go like <laughs> okay if that's all i gotta do that's what i'm gonna do i'm not gonna yeah. do anything extra so um, back to the Ronald Reagan thing, uh, the excerpt from that speech is, and I love it, actually. And I love it because um, I have some aspirations, too, and this like really um, rings for me. He said, they just declared Rice County, Kansas a depressed area. Rice County, Kansas has 200 oil wells, and 14,000 people there have over $30 million on deposit. In their personal savings in the bank, and when the government tells you you're depressed, lie down and be depressed. I was like, "Damn!" And this, keeping in mind, this was speech was in. Uh, it's still the same. There's only 200 oil wells and 14,000 people in 1964. <laughs> Thirty million dollars in savings in 1964. I actually had the date right. Um. <laughs> uh. Wow. Uh. That's interesting. Um. But yeah, I, I. And that that
2: money is still in those same families too. Probably a lot of them.
1: That, that is a big issue.
0: Well, i tell parts some of, of the rice... Sue Sterling college and try to get some of them back. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go
1: ahead. I would say that. I mean, that is part of the problem with rice County too. And, uh, Reno County is the same way. There's just a little, oh, ev- every, every county mm-hmm. everywhere is going to be like that where people don't see the need for change because their lifestyle is still the same. Mm-hmm. It's still good. So they don't see the need for change. Um, And for those people, I would encourage them to get out and talk to more people. Yeah. You know, um, realize that, yeah, just because your lifestyle is the same doesn't mean it's for everyone. Because those are the people that, you know, own and run the banks and that have the manufacturing company that's been there forever. And... That own half the buildings on Main Street. uh Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Well, and, and I really like the idea of essentially the the like you leave me alone I'll leave you alone kind of thing of you know the decisions you make as long as they don't and you know hurt me like for instance I've always had the thought process of if you're someone that has made the personal choice to consume methamphetamine you know over time if you consume large quantities of that and everything it's going to hurt you right but who is it hurting you and you made that choice mm-hmm. not me and now, I understand that when you get addicted, it's a, it's a hard habit to feed because it's expensive. Again, because government has made it illegal, so that's what made it expensive. Um, and you, you start stealing from other people and you start inhibiting them, their lives. That's where exactly. I then have the problem because now you're affecting other people. If you're victimizing others because of it, that's where I draw the line and I'm finished. And and I try to, I try to, so this is where the libertarians can love me a little more that are listening, (laughs) is I really try to, I really try to focus my policing philosophy on, I stay out of your life until you invite me into it. Mm -hmm. That's my policing philosophy. I don't go like, looking like, you know, like I, I know a lot of law enforcement officers that they're like, well, let's go do this. And I'm just like, and I look at them and I say, why? And I've had, you know, I mean, if you want to go do it, go for it. But like, I'll be the backing officer or something, but that's not like my jam. I'm not going to go force and inject myself into a bunch of things. You know, if I see a fight that's getting ready to start or something like that, like I'm going to go, I'm going to go and handle that problem. Um, but I just like to—that's just my, my my policing philosophy, you know. Again, I have no problem that you consume alcohol. I have no problem that you consume cannabis, um, truthfully. And uh, a lot of people are not going to like hearing this, but I per- truthfully have no problem if you consume cocaine or methamphetamine or whatever. You're only hurting you in the end. Like, why do I care what you're doing to yourself? That's that's for you to decide. But the moment you step into a vehicle. And now you're going to potentially hit and kill someone that I have a problem with. That's mm-hmm. where I'm drawing the line. You're affecting other people. And not only that, but if you have somebody else in the car that you could potentially hurt when you get into an accident. So, you know, that's just, that's where I'm at. And that's where my my policing philosophy is at. You know, I'm not big on writing a bunch of tickets and and all that kind of stuff. If you've got somebody that's hauling ass through town, sure. like. Yeah. But not just going out and be like, oh, you know, you're five over. Here's your ticket. You're five over. Here's your ticket. You know, oh, you didn't have your seatbelt on. Here's your ticket.
2: Unless you piss them off, then I'll write you a ticket for (laughs) one over. And then, (laughs) uh, I mean,
0: I I, if you think about it, realistically, I have that authority. Yeah. Yeah. I literally can write a ticket for one mile an hour over the speed limit. Never Mm -hmm. have I done it. Um, but you know, I mean, that's just. uh, I think that there's there's a place for government and a place for police officers and stuff. I mean, just, Mm -hmm. I mean, every society from the beginning of time has had some sort of a police officer or some sort of a government function. They've just all operated to different
1: levels of efficiency. That's why I would call myself more of a, you know, so I, I got asked this question at convention, if I was a minarchist or an anarchist and, you know, understand this is within the libertarian setting. So people here understand, you know, how we use those words and my answer I don't think was very popular because what I simply said was it doesn't matter what I call myself. I've listed out my platforms for you and my speech that I just gave. And you've already formed an assumption of what I am based on what you heard from me. So it doesn't really matter what I call myself. And that was what I said.
0: Well, they basically want you to choose a side. You're either Uh on my side or you're not because that's how great or that's how black and white it is for people in the world. I mean, There, there are things that
2: you're either Democrat or Republican,
0: but there are things that even like, for instance, when Laura Kelly and Chris Kobach were on the ballot, like I voted for Laura freaking Kelly. When you put like a trash candidate, like on there, you know, there for me and and I would consider myself if I had to choose between those two, which I don't like to, I would say I'm a Republican, but I voted Democrat on that one because I was like, that was the better choice. Like they all do things that I like and don't like. I mean everybody has.
2: In twenty eight was it twenty eighteen when she was elected? Was that the
1: mm-hmm.
2: it was like right before they had a hemp deal at the governor's summit or whatever and we met Kobach there and the dude was just
1: not a good guy. Like I could tell right away I was like, This guy's a grease ball and I didn't vote for him. <laughs> there was um I went and spoke at the uh Kansas for Health Freedom rally against mask mandates and vaccine mandates. Uh a while back and Kobach was the speaker before me and when he started I'm like okay okay and and then he went into and I want to uh force businesses to not allow mask mandates and that and I'm like ah there there we go. And that's where you lost me. Yep. yep. And because my personal view is that the government has no right interfering with small business. Mm-hmm. So if a small business chooses to fire someone because they got the vaccine, is that right? No. Should the government interfere with that? No. You know, just because I want to make something legal, I want to allow someone to do something – doesn't mean i think it's right. you know, i don't think that the government should run off of what anyone, one person or even a group of people think is right or wrong. it should be people should have the right to make their own private choices and if someone owns a business, they should have the right to choose how that business is run and that decision that they make is going to affect their business. yep. yeah, if you decide there there was a time and a place You know, in the civil rights movement where where things needed to be done. Mm -hmm. And I'm probably going to catch flack for that even, saying that. That there was a time and a place where those things needed to be done. With our current environment, with the way social we have social media, the way word can get out, the way everything is now. If there was a business that decided we're not going to hire black people, that business would not last long. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, that's
0: what you, that's, the, I think the key, what you're, what you're trying to get at to illustrate this point is people vote with their money. Yes. And, and if, and if, if you don't support the things that I like, and then I'm not going to patronize your business and then you're going to make flounder, sure my friends don't patronize yeah, your business. You're going to flounder. Yeah. yeah. I vote with my dollar.
1: Uh huh. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's where he lost me, <laughs> which was kind of funny. Cause I'm like, well, this isn't too bad. This isn't, uh, uh, oh. you yeah. Instantly. He's running for a federal... Uh, No, he's running for a Kansas Attorney General. Attorney General. Oh, God. Yeah, so imagine... Don't vote for him, please. For love of God. We beg you. Or
2: Derek Schmidt. Please.
1: Vote for Seth Cleo. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Vote for me. But could you imagine Schmidt, Governor, Kobach, Attorney General, with the Republican supermajority? Honestly, like, that makes me want to puke
2: right now. (laughs) Seriously. Like, because it's... Just a little bit of politics I've been a part of this, this year. It just, it's a joke right now. And Derek Schmidt is the biggest headache in the hemp and marijuana industry in Kansas right now. He is at the forefront of it.
0: So, um, when, when is the election for you? You said November, right?
1: Yeah, November. Okay. November is the election. I will be on the ballot. So when you're looking at your ballot, you will see, well, I mean, so again still have to do primaries but it'll be Kelly Schmidt Cordell. uh yeah Kelly Schmidt Cordell
0: is there anybody else in the libertarian party running
1: uh there was one other individual but our, at our convention last weekend um, I got the nomination so can you still do if, like a write-in type thing or whatever no no uh. no not as libertarian okay um, gotcha. there might be some independents. as of now no independents have filed gotcha um the way that it works at least in Kansas is that if your party gets... or more of the vote in a state office. So, you know, governor, attorney general, treasurer, that kind of thing. If you get 1% of the vote, you're considered a minor party. And so as a minor party, you're on the ballot the next, you know, four years later. Um, If you get 5% or more of the vote, you become a major party. And the highest the Libertarian Party has ever gotten is, I think, 4%. um, But that was quite a while ago. So, right now, we are what's called a minor party, and with that, we don't have primaries. we have our ah, convention, okay, and gotcha. at our convention, we elect who Makes is sense. going to be the candidate okay so um actually, here in a couple of weeks, my campaign team and I are going to drive up to Topeka to do the official paperwork and and all of that stuff so but yep i I am the libertarian candidate, and I will be on the ballot, so that that's huge, so it's if- awesome. It, When, when you figured that out, you're like, well, this is real. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like My name's going to be on there. (laughs) Ish got real, real fast. Yeah. And I, like I said, I have an amazing campaign team and not even 48 hours after I had the nomination, it was like, all right, Seth, next weekend you're going to Wichita for a street fair. I got this lined up after that. And then, okay, 4th of July, you're going to go here, here, here. And then we got this county fair, this county fair, this kind of like. Like, <laughs> <what? Yeah. Whoa. laughs> like dude give me give me at least two days i need to decompress a little <laughs> but but no it's it's and it's i wouldn't be able to do it without without them have great marketing people web people um my wife uh i i have to say all of this now because if i forget somehow to thank my wife for everything then i am a terrible human being
2: she'll bury you in the backyard
1: so and,
0: but, Dude, it, she that, she's that she's that quiet scary like she's so quiet all the time like she's like that still water runs deep i'm like i don't know this lady and i don't want to make her mad
1: yeah i and i believe me pushed her so hard for several years uh so um she's so not only also a chiropractor so she's a doctor also she does the books for our business she is the treasurer for my campaign. So she's an accountant. Handles all of our... Per- <laughs> her first degree is in accounting. And uh, handles all of our personal finances. Like, if it was not for her... And I'm, I'm not exaggerating at all. If it was not for her, I would be dead right now. So not only that, but today I had a campaign event in Wichita that I had to go to. So I get to Wichita and we're setting up. And I forget... I forgot the canopy tent, so I called Teresa. After I called everyone, I believe me, I called everyone I know in Wichita first to ask for someone. Did you call mine in Orlando? They probably had like no a I, bunch of those. I didn't think of them. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, that that would have been a good one. But so there's there were some other things that I had forgotten also. So Teresa drives an hour and a half to bring me the canopy tent, some other paperwork, and other stuff that I forgot. Um her asthma has been kind of acting up. So all of the smells and everything at the street fair, she couldn't handle. So she goes back home. So then she's not feeling well. And then I have this podcast this evening that we're recording. So I'm not going to get home until late. I left early this morning. I'm getting home late. She's not feeling well. And today is her birthday. (laughs) And throughout all of this, she's like, no, it's fine. It's okay. And not like a, Oh, it's it's fine. Don't worry about it. It's fine. No, not none of that. Like, she's okay. She understands and she is so supportive of of all of this.
0: Happy birthday, Teresa.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes, we all love you and thank you
2: very much. Seth's <laughs> gonna bring you he's gonna get you a very good,
0: very nice gift. Yeah, we're gonna encourage him when we're done that he needs to go somewhere nice and get you something. Or, you know, right now. <laughs> <laughs> So, if, uh, if people want to keep up with your campaign, see what you're about, see, uh, keep up with it, see, uh, see what's going on, how, how do people link up with you, social media, websites, all that good stuff?
1: Um, social media, Cordell for Kansas, um, Instagram at MySethCordell, so M Y S E T H C O R D E L L, um, so, the Instagram isn't purely campaign-related, so there'll be some other fun adventures that you see on there with my weightlifting and my farm and everything else. So And your 97
0: chickens coming out of the coop, you know, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we're actually <laughs> down to 38 now. Down to 38. Yeah. Uh, we lost a couple to bird flu, and then we lost a couple more to a hawk about a week ago. So... But yep. So I'll, you
0: got the Instagram at my Seth Cordell and yep.
1: And Facebook, um, Cordell for Kansas. And the website is also Cordell for com. So, uh, not the number F O R, Cordell for Kansas.com. Um, when you go to the website, be sure to look up at the top right corner. I believe there's a little button that says donate. So that's, that's a, that's a really important one.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, let's face it, you're doing like the traveling to Wichita to meet with people. um, Your wife's having to bring things because you forgot it, you know, and that kind of stuff. I can't imagine that all of that stuff becomes cheap. I know, I know everybody kind of gets hung up on the money thing, but this, this is. This isn't money that is going to be, you know, taken and put into a pocket or or used to buy a Bentley. You know, these are things that are used for the campaign, right?
1: Or to pay for TV ads telling about how the other candidate's a terrible person. You know, like I, being a libertarian, we are a small party. Um, we're growing. We're growing rap pretty rapidly, actually, compared to the past. But we are still a small party, and money is always tight. And when you look at the budgets that the Republicans and the Democrats are playing with, you know, when they're talking into the millions already and well, I'm not going to say exactly how much we have, but let's just say it's not that much less than a million. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: It's, it's not got the, uh, it's not got a plural on it at all.
1: (laughs) Uh Let's just say we're hoping to afford yard signs soon. I mean, that's the kind of budget that we're playing with. And so any kind of donation helps, um, the minimum donation, uh, if you click on that is $4 and 20 cents. And of course you can put whatever amount you want, but, or you could donate up to $420 even. Yeah. So just well, random numbers. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <they have laughs> no, no meaning. No, behind have those no those at all. <laughs> significance. Uh,
0: well, Hey, we want to thank you for taking the time out of your day. Uh, you know, we just want to be respectful of your time, but you know, just thanks for, for coming on here and, and talking to us and also sharing your story. I mean, you kind of bared. A lot of, a lot of what you've got going on. And I think a lot of people would be hesitant running for public office to kind of talk about some of the things you did. Um, so I think that takes a lot of, a lot of guts, a lot of grit. And, and I think that makes it one of the many reasons that I think you're going to be a good candidate for, for governor. So,
1: well, thank you. My, my personal philosophy on that is, you know, I've already lived my story up to that, up to this point. And if I don't do anything with that, then it's wasted. So running for office is one way I'm doing something with it. But another way that I can do something with it is try to help other people that have been going through those things, have gone through it, are going through it. Um, You know, if you're dealing with mental health issues, you know, depression, anxiety, I've, I've been there. If you're dealing with addiction, drugs, alcohol, whatever, I've been there. And there's a lot of other people that have gone through those things, too. And don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help. Um, you know, like you said that, you know, the first time I met you at my office and I'm working on you and it, it came up in a conversation that I'm a recovered alcoholic. It's not something I shout from the rooftops, but I'm not afraid to bring it up in a conversation because there have been several times where I'm just talking to somebody and I get that feeling, you know, I get that feeling. And so I'll bring it up and they'll be like, my my son or my dad or, or me, you know, I'm going through that right now and I can help them put them in the right direction. I gave you that copy of the Enchiridion, which for anyone listening, if you've made it this far, congratulations, here's your prize. The Enchiridion by Epictetus. Um, Epictetus, E-P-I-C-T-E-T-U-S or T-I-T-U-S. And the book is called the Enchiridion. And basically that's Greek for handbook. You can get a copy of it for two dollars on Amazon and if you read it and apply it, it will change your life.
0: Um Or if you come get an adjustment from Seth, he probably has a copy laying around that he would give you like he did me.
1: I, I buy them by the dozen and at two dollars I give them to whoever I think it might help. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be addiction, it could be anything. The it it's called handbook because it's a a handbook for life. Um Actually, it's called, it's called a handbook because Epictetus never wrote any of his own stuff down. One of his students was taking notes during one of his lectures and that's what turned into the book. But, um, yeah, it's great. And thank you guys very much for having me on. Um, love to come on and talk more. Like we, I think we just kind of scratched the surface a little bit about some things, but yeah.
0: Well, we we find that's actually the case, and with a lot of people, yeah. And what we what we love about doing this, at least me, I don't know if I'm speaking for you, but of of just getting back to those conversations of and and the cool thing is is there's no format or whatever. Like we could we could have you on for the next four shows if we wanted to, (laughs) you know. And, and, you know, uh, know, with with all the free time that you have now that you're, you know, got all your things for governor. But, yeah, yeah, it's it's been it's been great. And, you know, we can definitely have you on again another time. Um, I would would say
2: I can probably almost
0: guarantee you two votes.
1: (laughs) 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 Yeah, I I, say you can definitely count on those two for sure. Very cool. Thank you, guys. Yeah, three hours and we didn't even talk about aliens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> have to get uh. get Ted in on that one too. Ted's a conspiracy. Oh, and day.
2: Skyler.
0: Yeah,
1: we'd sit <laughs> oh. in here. We'd have a ten-hour podcast. <laughs> I would love a good conspiracy theory. I'm not saying I believe them all, but I love them. They're so much fun. Well, they're
0: good to they're good to venture down the rabbit hole as far as the conversation and get your mind rolling.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, except for most of like the the government and all those ones are like if you follow the money, then it gets out of theory really quick. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, that's exactly what the guy, the doctor on uh, Seth or Seth Rogen, (laughs) Joe, Joe Rogan's podcast was saying was like, he never made, and he was very careful with his words and never accused anyone of anything. He just said, if you follow the money, it'll answer all the questions you want. Follow the money. Mm
2: -hmm. That's true. Well, guys, thanks for uh, listening to uh, another episode of the higher points. Um, we enjoyed having Seth on today, and I would I would say that Seth Cordell, for governor, has an
1: endorsement from the higher points, so whatever that yeah, means to you. There's <laughs> no bias there whatsoever, <laughs> just because we're workout partners. And- yeah.
2: <laughs> so, uh, um, go ahead and uh, like our Instagram, share our content, leave us a review, you know, those go a long ways. Um, with the algorithms and stuff, you know, we really just want to get our our message out to people, you know, we're all human. We are all working towards goals. We are all, we all make mistakes. We all have mental health issues, you know, let's talk about them. Let's normalize it. Let's be the change you want to see. Thanks guys.